Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to another episode of the Go Big Redcast. Yes, Influencer Edition. <laughs> I'm Honky. I'm Mac. And this is the first in a series of Husker Influencer interviews that Mac mm. and I have done over the course of the last few months. Yes, extracted from previous episodes for your convenience. Uh, this first one we did, uh, I guess we have to set the mood a little bit, Mac. It happened a couple of months ago prior to the season. It was mm. with, with Dave a bottle and- of wine and some <laughs> candles. <laughs> When everybody was happy. <laughs> yeah, it was with Dave and Andrew, the Hus guys. Uh, you can follow them at Hus guys on Twitter. We were all drinking the Kool-Aid back then, but these guys are particularly good at drinking the Kool-Aid and, and definitely spreading the positivity. And, man, there was a lot to talk about back then. Yeah, I mean, we were all on board the positivity train at that point. I mean, <laughs> there was no slowing us down. And as the season progressed, I came to appreciate the Hus guys even more because there were times on social media – I just wouldn't even bother going on there. But you could see they would post a few things. I'm like, all right, okay. They found a couple good stats I can jive with, you know. But, yeah, it's fun to go back and look at these interviews now because the tone is just so (laughs) entirely different. You know, it's so crazy. So, yeah, without further ado, the Husk Guys. You getting cold this winter? Then warm up your soul by getting your ass to Plowboys, the award-winning Kansas City barbecue that is now in Lincoln. Brisket, pulled pork, baby back ribs, barbecue nachos, burnt ends, and more. Call ahead and pick up your order or pull up a chair and pair that meal with a frothy mug of beer. You can find us located inside of Berries on 9th Street. Now delivering to your home and office. And party planners, sit back, relax, and let us cater your next event as you win over the love and respect of your friends, family, and co-workers. Feel that winter heat with a plate full of mouth-watering meat at Plowboy's Championship Barbecue. Tell them the Redcast sent you and receive a free high five. Hell yeah! All right, welcome back to the uh, Redcast. Uh, I'm with Mac, and we are talking with Dave and Andrew, the Hus Guys, what up? Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Husk guys. Thanks for having us. Awesome to be here. Yeah, so, you know, we've been following you guys for a while on Twitter. You guys have been following us. I guess first question is, how did you guys become the Husk guys? Appreciate you guys having us on. Huge fans of your show. As we've said, I think you guys are the number one podcast out there. Do a little uh, pandering as we start the show. So, we, yeah, I think for us, I mean, the, the Husker fan goes way, way back. I actually just asked my dad this. Um, we've been season ticket holders since 1922, so our, our Husker nation goes all the way back to our great-grandparents. Wow. Going to, going to Nebraska, our grandparents, my dad, and his, his, his two sisters. Um, and Andrew and I started this right as we were coming out of college. Well, uh, the big gap that we kind of thought in the marketplace was there was this lack of swagger coming from Husker Nation around 2010, 2011, where I think everybody had been burned for so long that... We just didn't think we could win anymore. And, and it kind of bugged Andrew and I. We're lifelong Huskers. We dive into this stuff just as much as you guys do. And the, the, I think the gap in the market was everybody just thought nine wins was cool, you know? And so we kind of took a different approach that was constant Kool-Aid 24-7. Like, we're going to win the national championship every year. And I think it resonated <laughs> in, in, a, in a big way with some folks. That is probably a very interesting time because 
the social media starts to blow up and we are like at a historical kind of lull in the program too. Because I think about that when we started the podcast, it was like, oh yeah, let's do a podcast. Hey, let's win uh, four four games this year and then uh, we'll follow it up with another season of four wins. I'm like, I don't really like talking about football <laughs> at four wins that much, to be real honest with you. Those were, yeah, those were agony. Yeah, to be clear too, the, the, the best time for Andrew and I is the off season. We realized we like January through September way more. <laughs> because that's when you can be whoever you want to be. And then, you know, once, re- once reality hit from 2010 to, you know, like the last 10 years, it's like, oh, wow. Oh, boy. You know, how do you keep, how do you keep the Kool-Aid going when, you, when you're, you know, 0 and 6? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Off-season national champions, 25 years running now. And that's kind of where we found that we had quite a niche was people that uh, wanted to be re-inspired. They wanted to fall back on the glory days, but also use whatever positivity we were having that particular year, whether it was Tanner Lee, who was going to win the Heisman Trophy, or, uh, you know, Tommy Armstrong, who was going to win four Heisman Trophies. It's, you just latch onto some positivity, and, and I think we bred that. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that with latching onto recruiting positivity. Anytime you get that one big recruit, that's kind of been the thing that a lot of Husker fans would latch onto. But then that recruiting hasn't turned into wins. And that's where we've harped a lot on development and how important developing players is. And that gets lost by some of the recruitniks that only focus on recruiting. Hey, we got a bunch of four stars and we should be able to beat Iowa and Wisconsin who get two stars, but are developing guys like crazy and physical practices and off-season workouts and all those things that are important too. And I come off a lot of times negative towards recruiting, like I'm saying it's not important. And I don't ever mean that. It is important to recruit well. But it's important, it's important to, to give you context. <laughs> but I feel like that's the thing. It's really. important to do something with those recruits. And that's what I think we're getting such a good blend of now with Coach Frost. Oh, yeah. And Iowa, I was just tweeting this the other day. Iowa has not, in the last six years, had a recruiting class above 39th in the country. And they just recruit these tractor-pulling farm boys. Mm. And they have this fan base that just feeds off of that and they found a system and they plug them in and i think that's honestly as much as you hate to say it and as much as we all hate iowa we would love to have a system that ideally is going to be much better than anything that barents has put forward but he's an eight win nine win a year and they'll compete for a big 10 title and i think we'd like to get there and far beyond that but we have something that is working with not the recruiting talent that we have the difference between the Iowas and Wisconsin's and us is we can get a caliber of player nationally on top of our regional guys that they don't yeah. get. And we can do that across the board. We can get top quarterbacks like Adrian Martinez. We can get, we can go into Florida and Texas and California and pull guys out that those other schools have had yeah. trouble doing. And that's part of the blue blood status that we are. So, but we've got to get, it's not about the blue blood. We got to get that red blooded, you know, hard nosed oh, yeah. nature about us again. And that's exactly what Frost is doing. It's what the physical practices are. It's what the Duval effect is. War daddy up. <laughs> yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Just to jump in on that too. Cause I mean, you got to have these guys develop. Like I think, I think Adrian Martinez is a once in a generation talent. Agreed. I couldn't, I, I seriously, like, I think he's the best quarterback we've had in, uh, I don't know, since back to Crouch and Frost days. Uh, I'm super excited about him. I think he's already, I mean, he's just got named captain. It's incredible. As a sophomore, um, yeah. the, the ones who make me nervous, and I, like, this is where I have such nervous anticipation for the season, or like Wandale, uh, Robinson, that like, is that guy going to be Ty John, or is he going to be, you know, Rondale Moore? Those are the types of guys that I'm like, if he turns into Rondale Moore, like, we're going to win every game for the next four years. 
we'll never lose again. You think about it. If we have like a Rondell Moore playmaker, we are never going to lose for at least his four years. Oh, at least. I mean, and then it's 25 years from then. I mean, you just built, you've built the franchise. But if he goes, if he goes the way of Ty John Lindsay, we're in this vicious cycle of like, oh man, another amazing recruit that we stole away from every major program. Oh no. Yeah. Nothing. And we also, as Husker fans, I feel like the program also needs to feed off of our walk-on tradition, and I'm so happy to see us buying back into that. My favorite player growing up was Jeff Souter. This is really? such a random throwback, but that, he yeah. literally only played on kickoffs. Was he number 24? Yes. Even on a touchback, he would run his head into the wall, and he would like almost nearly climb up into the student section. He'd smack himself on the head, and he's just this walk-on from Bellevue. And he was a complete psychopath, and the fans and everybody loved it. And he was a walk-on that just energized everybody, and people feed off of that kind of stuff. Not only players like him, but players that are going to climb the ranks and stuff through our program and obviously be some of the greats. When you guys even talked about how we have 150 players on the team now, that to me is like, that's got to be some sort of advantage somewhere. It's certainly what Frost is wanting to get us to, and it's 30 more than any other team in the Big Ten. You know, you always want to balance how big to get, but I'll tell you, he obviously wants it at that number. We're going to build facilities to suit to that number, and that's not something our current facilities are built for. Frost wants to give opportunities to players that were not getting opportunities before. A walk-on today is essentially what a scholarship looked like 30 years ago when you gave 30 or 40 a year out. Oh, if yeah. you're getting a walk-on opportunity, you're a player. I've got a buddy, his, his son's a walk-on on the team. That kid could have gone to other places. We just saw Schlager from uh, Colorado State give up money. That dude isn't was important. That's a big culture statement, right? Leadership's a big piece of it. And Frost <laughs> talked about it at, when he, on the uh, video where he was talking at Strategic Air Command, where he talked about culture and he talked about leadership and how important leadership is. And the Jimmys and Joes matter. They do matter. But if you have a team that has good Jimmys and Joes, but you don't have the leadership and the culture in place, you're going to lose the teams that have it in place. And if you do have it in place, you're going to beat teams that don't. So again, yeah. it's not that recruiting doesn't matter. It's not that Jimmy's and Joe's don't matter, but it's, it's deeper than just that. Identity, knowing what you want to be and knowing how to create those people through your strength and development is something we haven't had in forever. My first year was 83 following Nebraska. I was six years old. So my, my introduction to Nebraska. six year olds don't remember that well, stuff, but that's okay. My introduction to Nebraska football was going thir- or 12 and 0 having the Heisman winner, having the Outland Lombardi winner, going number one from start to finish and then losing by the two-point conversion to Miami. That's that's my introduction to Nebraska football. And I tell that to people when when they go, why are you so nuts honky about Husker football? That was my intro. Nebraska, Nebraska had the most wins in all of college football in the, in the 80s. Second most wins in the 90s. I think it was I the – nice. number one in the 90s. Florida State. Crazy, isn't it? Andrew, what was your first year of Husker football and your first memories of it? Oh, man. My first memories, and Dave and I actually talk about this a lot, I don't know if it was more acceptable back then, but our our dad, uh, we had season tickets, but two of them were split off. So me and Dave, and I don't really know what ages we would have been, but this is as far as back as I can remember, maybe uh, six and eight, five and seven even, I don't know. But we had friends, basically, that my dad would leave us with over on one side of the stadium and go back to his seats 
on the 45 yard line in West Stadium. <laughs> Those are some of my earliest memories. And sometimes this, uh, this elder gal who was essentially turned into our babysitter over there would bring us back a vowels and then we'd just meet my dad at halftime and we just kind of knew where to go. But we have, I mean, a ton of old memories. I remember the 95 season. I was five years old when that happened. I remember. Oh. I remember my dad absolutely uh, hating Tennessee in '97 because <laughs> the, <laughs> and just yelling at at Peyton Manning every time we sacked him. But <laughs> I also remember very distinctly that our father would basically just be wearing black as if he was mourning for about a week if we lost. <laughs> and those were some dark times. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what, I, it's funny that you say that, Hockey, that, that you're like just, you're on the 80s version of that, because I, I started paying attention in 94, and we lost twice between my 7th and 10th birthday. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, I didn't I didn't understand losing, right? Like, yep. you know, we lost twice in, like, what, September last year? <laughs> you know, we lost twice between my 7th and 10th birthday, and so it wasn't, it just wasn't something I got. It was just like, oh, we just win. My team just wins the national championship every year. This is the team I follow. We win the national championship. This is what we do. And yeah, dad would, <laughs> the, the Arizona State game, the shutout with oh, uh, Jake and Snake yeah. was, I mean, uh, it was like, he didn't go to work that week. He was just like, that's how big losses were, you know? I was like, yeah. oh, is that okay? Like, we bring like soup downstairs, like adding fat. <laughs> he called it sick. He had, he had a mental uh, breakdown. That's part of the culture, though, that Andrew and I kind of try to bring up because we were like raised in that of like, Losing is unacceptable. Losing is like, you know, losing hurts the economy of Nebraska. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Losing means people don't go to work. And like, the, then all of a sudden it evolves into to what it is, you know, over the last 10 years where it's like, ah, whatever, you know, nine wins cool, you know, yeah. it's fine. Ah, man, wow, we gave, we gave Iowa a game. What? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? That's like the official downfall of a program is when apathy begins. And I think that's what we fell into in the mid 2000s. But in the late 90s, I mean, it was like playing video games or like playing any backyard game with yourself or others. You were just supposed to win. If you had your own imaginary dream world playing these fake games, you wouldn't let yourself lose. Mm-hmm. And the team on TV that you watched never lost. So losing was not an option. Mm-hmm. And there was no, there was never really an adjustment period to that. So when you did lose, it was just, I mean, the sky was falling, the earth was opening, things were coming to an abrupt end. Y2K was around the corner. <laughs> it just, it all made sense that the world was going to end when we hit the year 2000 because we, uh, you know, things started to turn south for the program shortly after that. Yeah, in a big way. And the other thing is you lose a game. It doesn't just hurt for that one day, but like, I don't watch any other college football Mm -hmm. because what if they show a highlight of us getting smoked? I can't handle that. I don't want to see that again. That's like I'm saying, doing the podcast after we lost, I'm like, running back. Oh, like, Oh, if that's going to be Monty ball, if that's going to be Jonathan to ice, I'm not turning the channel. Here we go. Here we go again. Well, that's, I think that I think to your point too, and that's partly like the way we were raised in that environment where we were supposed to win, and like our dad took the losses at Harvard, Andrew and I take these losses too hard too. But I want that, you know. I think the other way is not as fun, right? Like we, I go in every season, and you guys see us on Twitter. We're you know we're bold and we bring it. I think we're going to win the national championship, and I will not be bashful in saying that. <laughs> I will also say I, I think I thought we were going to win the national championship the last 20 years, and we haven't any of those years. 
But I think like that to me is is a way more fun way to be a fan is to put it all on the line. And like I want the losses to hurt. Yeah. And you know what's fun is when you have confidence in your team enough to say it too. Because I've said, hey, we're going to win a national title when I knew we had no chance. I've said that enough times over the last 20 years. The difference this year is I'm starting to get to a point. No, it's, this no, is, it's not that. It's just that we've said that every year too. No, no, I still no, love no, it. no, no. I this still is, love it. I this still is love totally it. different because of Frost. It's because of Scott Frost. No, it, milk it, is a dollar ninety nine. It is Scott Frost. Look, it's not just because of Frost. It's because of everything that's gone on over the off seasons. It's the strength and conditioning. It's the practices we've seen. It's the walk ons that are coming on. It's the guys that are giving up money to come here. We've seen too many things Scott before Frost. before the wins even start. We're seeing the things. If you do the right things long enough, wins will start to come. So when I say I'm, I try, I'm being genuine here, I truly believe that we have turned a corner as a program because of Frost in the last 20 months that give me legitimate reason to say that we can be good now and we can be good this season. I'll give you one example of this in the last 15 years because we haven't been good most of them. In 2009, I go down to Texas for the uh, Nebraska-Texas Big 12 title game, and we're tailgating for five hours with some – Texas fans that, you know, were pretty arrogant about how they were going to beat us up. One of them in particular told me, he goes, we're going to beat, you know, we're going to beat you guys 45 to to 20. And I go, dude, you have no clue about football because number one, there's no way you're scoring 45 on this team. And there's no way we're scoring 20 on you. You might beat us, but it is not going to be anywhere close to the score you just said. But I could say that with confidence because I knew how good our defense was. Oh, I thought you meant how bad our offense was. And I also knew with confidence how bad our offense was. I can speak with confidence right now that we have an unbelievable generational quarterback running a scheme that is picture-perfect for him with offense and defensive linemen who have gone through 20 months of conditioning and receivers and backs who are ridiculously young because they brought on 100 players in the last 20 months. 100 of our 155 guys are new to this to this staff, but we have yeah. ridiculous amounts of talent. But boy, they are young. I, I'm I'm going to sound like a row the boat guy. We're no, young. We'll never sound like row the boat guy. We're young, but man, Wandell <laughs> and Vermeer and 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 Mills and Washington and Martinez. That's a ton of speed. That are yeah. literally guys that have been here for you know less than two years. I think I think well the. The Kool-Aid, I think what's interesting, and you guys have pointed this out too, is it's flowing from outside. Yes. Right? So I was going to ask got, you about you that. Got, you've got Joel Klatt. You've got Urban Meyer just told us that we we're going to win the Big Ten West yesterday. Yep. You've got like some pretty legit guys that are saying this team is really tough to stop. And, and I also think when you go back and look at the game, so I went back. This is part of like the psychopath aspect of this, which you guys <laughs> do too. I laughed at someone on your show who, who said that they watched like plays and then watched the replay and then broke them down. <laughs> Which is like totally nuts, right? Was that you, man? That was my. Uh, no, I was doing that. Uh, I was doing that last week. I rewatched all the games, and my wife thinks I'm like an absolute nut. She's like, "You're watching my games from last year. Like, what is wrong with you?" But when you watch those games, I mean, every one of them, you know, we should have won nine games. Like, you, when you break them all down, if Adrian plays, the Troy game is no problem. The Purdue game, like, was kind of a toss up. Colorado, we definitely win. Northwestern, we definitely win. Um, Iowa, you know, maybe right at the end there. Um, but we, you had these things up and the way we were playing and how dominantly we were playing in so many of these games. I think plenty of people that watched us were like this. Yeah. This team has broken through. We're putting a 40, 50 points a game, 500 yards of offense. I mean, I think anybody that's seen us play sees that Mm -hmm. side of it. We've talked a lot about Brett Siancio with uh, pick six previews, interviewed him about a month ago. And he talked about how, you know, it's not just your, your eyes aren't deceiving you. 
If you felt like last year was a seven or eight win season, it's because really on paper it was. Now on the field, we made mistakes at times that absolutely killed us. Things that didn't kill the teams like Northwestern that don't make those same mistakes, but we made them. And that Purdue game, I'll forever say, because I was sitting in the fourth row right behind the Purdue bench, that is one of the, the sloppiest Nebraska games I've ever seen. And thank God we have a coach that appreciated how sloppy it was. Because that was the game where he came off afterwards and he talked about, we've got guys dancing on our sideline that look like they love losing. We had after that game, Tyjon Lindsay, a guy you guys mentioned earlier, and a guy like Greg Bell, who is a Frost guy. Frost brought him in. But you know what? It took him about four games to process him out. It was the game that both of those guys leave. It was the game where Lamar Jackson gets demoted from Blackshirt. And quite honestly, he could have left the program at that point if he wanted to. And, and I don't, I wouldn't have been hurt one bit if he did, but you know what? Good on him that he came back. He fought back from that. And where he's at now, he's one of the leaders on the team. I think what gets me really excited, I think everybody follows the trend from UCF, right? Obviously, they're last to first. The other one, if you look at McKenzie Milton, too, he went from like a 10 interception guy to four or five his second year. His efficiency went from 65% up to 75%. If you get Adrian up and you improve him, you know, three, four, five percentage points on the like completion percentage rate, oh my God. I mean, he'll be absolutely unstoppable. And I think year two in a frost system, it has proven that. And it goes all the way back to Marcus Mariota at, at Oregon, right? Every guy that Frost has had has gotten better. You know, and obviously you can't eliminate all mistakes, but that you're gonna see some big improvement with that. Mm-hmm. I, going back, because I I, we could keep talking about Adrian. We could do an Adrian show. Yeah. That's by the fine. way, we're going to have you guys back again. Right. So don't but, we, we don't have to we don't have to get all of our good stuff out in one show. We're we'll in have the weeds. you back. We're in the weeds. That's okay. But I'm just I, have, I have thirty years worth of knowledge. I'm trying to upload right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, but, we this is a podcast. We've got tons of there are episodes and episodes yeah. to do this on. But you brought up a point about freshman mistakes that he had, and you could look back at, at some of the maybe where his numbers fall off and they don't look as impressive as you might think. But he rarely stacked freshman mistakes. Like he'd have streaks of really good play and then sort of like a bonehead one, but not that big of a bonehead. And you didn't see it maybe short of just protecting the football when he was running. But again, I kind of feel like that's getting your feel for your first year back and playing college ball. I don't, I don't foresee that being a problem. I mean, that kid just got better every week. And that was like, when's the last time, guys, you saw a Husker team get better as the year went on? I'll wait and, and listen offline. <laughs> because I can't think of one. <laughs> Riley's third year was one of the worst years of my life. Was, <laughs> I, I mean, fans were throwing in the towel. Players were throwing in the towel. Equipment managers just weren't even showing up. I mean, it was just... That was a team that just regressed so hardcore, and I think if there's anything that's going to keep the hype train rolling, it's just to keep seeing signs of progress. Yeah. If we cut down on penalties, if our third down defense goes from, I think it was 105th in the country last year, if we get that into the top 60, top yeah. 50, if we get our third down offense, which you know we, we harp on the offense, but we sucked on third down, if we get that into the top 50, I mean, then you're maximizing ball control. Last year, we averaged uh, negative five minutes compared to the other teams uh, in ball control. And so, I mean, those are just things that if we just see some sort of progression, we don't, we don't have to be top 20. But if we keep 
proceeding in the right positive direction, we're going to, I mean, there's going to be plenty of Kool-Aid going around, just going to be flowing from the gutters in Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. I, say, I think it's funny, too, when you talk about, like, progressing to the end of the year, because so, so many times over the last 20 years, and I'm a guy that runs all the numbers, like, I, I believe we have a chance at the title until we don't, but we've been mathematically, <laughs> you know, like, it's like we're math when you're mathematically eliminated in October, even, like, you know, you're whatever, 10 and 2, 9 and 3, and you're like, well, what if... What if Ohio State and Alabama lose three or four more times? I think that to me is, is why, you know, that to me is why like November always ends up being like, oh, okay, well, we can't play for the Big Ten title or the Big Twelve title or whatever title, and so it's like then there's really no progression at all because what's left to play for? Mm, exactly. I mean, my biggest question that I've been asking other Husker fans is, what are we? Obviously, the hype train is is full speed ahead. I mean, we're not even on any tracks anymore. We're just, we're, the train's just barreling. But what is the biggest thing that has us worried about the season? Well, I can start off. I can tell you right now. One of the things that has me concerned more than anything, and I'm guilty of this, by the way, because I've said this, is that the schedule is so easy that we're just 10 and 2 and 11 and 1 because we're going to sleepwalk the way through because of all the, the great Scott Frost, War Daddy Up things. All the things I've talked about, how great. All the great things that are going on in the program, we're going to go eleven and one because we're just playing a you know a terrible schedule, and, and and I don't mean it that way. It's not a terrible schedule, and and people, I don't want them to get that feeling that we're it's just going to Ohio it's, State. If there's still yeah. seven Big Ten teams ranked more than any other you know conference in the country ranked, we just happen to play some of those at home and our crossovers. We replaced the Michigans with Indiana and Maryland, but you still got to beat Iowa and we can joke about Iowa and all that stuff. But guess what? They still have beaten us quite badly over the course of the last four years. For the most part, I, I think last year showed that, 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 that gap has changed, but they're very the, good at beating Mike Riley. They're very good at beating Mike Riley. You got to applaud them for that. Um, but you still got to beat Wisconsin. You still got to beat Ohio State, and and you still got to beat Northwestern. I mean, you have to beat everybody on this schedule, and so it's not an easy schedule. And I guess to answer that question, it's just that I, I warn people from overlooking this that the schedule is so easy. We're just guaranteed an eleven-one finish. That I don't believe that. These are some we good were teams. Still four and eight. Yeah, we were still four yeah. and eight. These are good teams on the schedule. We're going to have to play great it's hilarious. football. hilarious. The narrative is just so fantastically absurd. Like, oh, we have to pump breaks. I'm like, what are you talking about? We won four games. <sighs> and, you know, I, I would convince myself we win ten games with Riley. With Riley. Oh. <laughs> so why would I say, well, no, Scott Frost, I'm going to temper back, guys. I mean, we've got a generational yeah. quarterback. I'm going to go eight. Eight. I'm gonna put it out eight, seven and a half. Yeah, we. I don't know that we have to change so much. Ridiculous. I just don't remember Joe Clatt naming Mike Riley's teams number thirteen in the country. That's nicest. You know, thirteen, oh, yeah. nicest. Yeah. Well, that it, that Riley team that went seven and zero oh, is people were like, uh, should they be twelfth or like not ranked? <laughs> <laughs> so, so going into that Wisconsin game when they were seven and zero oh, and it was two top ten teams playing, after it was after the loss that I felt better. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know how we could you know, handle a really good team. And boy, we played Wisconsin really well on the road. We were physical against them. My gosh, you know, I think this Mike Riley guy has got his things together. Mm -hmm. So then of course, Dave and I take a flight out the next week to Columbus, Ohio to watch oh, us wow. get beat 62 to three. And I'm, and we're walking back. Cause I walked back and I was pouting. I was a 40 year old dude pouting. I oh, called yeah. my wife and I said, did you DVR the game? She goes, yep. I'm like, delete it, delete it, it now. I never want to see that game. And, and as, <laughs> and as we're walking back, I'm like, I, his his career's done here, Riley. And and oh. 
Dave was with me and a couple other friends, and they're like, what do you mean? It's still early. I'm like, no, it's you. I don't know how you recover from this. This Isn't is, you, you can't lose like this. How he went from a top 10 team to just the most disgraced man in, in Nebraska in a year and a half. And, and we love to get him as a guy. Yeah. But just an incredible uh, transformation. I blame, I blame a little a bit the media on me, my love for, or not my love, but my support for Mike Riley longer than it should have been. I had no idea how little we were working out in the background. And then, you know, Frost gets hired and these stories resurface like, oh yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty commonly held observation. These guys didn't work out. I'm like, well, I never heard that. <laughs> Nobody's saying anything to me and I follow this stuff pretty close. I'm like, well, that's news. <laughs> I look like an idiot now. I'm like, I didn't know we weren't doing squats. Of course we're going to lose to Iowa. Squats. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the crazy thing is the confidence, too. Like, and I, Obviously, I'm as confident as anybody. The crazy thing to me is, like, if you actually look at the games last year, like the Wisconsin game, the Michigan game, and the Iowa game, like, all three of those, frankly, were like murder, right? Like, those were, you know, Michigan was absolute onslaught. Wisconsin, they dominated that game start to finish. And Iowa, if Kirk Ferentz doesn't go for two and miss a bunch of field goals, they're off to the races up like, you know, 38 to seven. So those to me are the like, all of a sudden we just, those are just put in a win column. Like we got to kind of prove we can beat those guys first. I think we will, but I think those, those concern me because those are, those are some manhandling up front. What I liked about the Iowa game was that the team didn't give up. And I know that sounds dumb, but the prior two years that we played Iowa, that was exactly the knock on us. We would go into halftime with them. In the last game of Riley, I think yeah. we were tied at half. And then we just kind of gave up in the second half. And, oh, you know, we just lost by 42. Well, the team didn't give up. But what the team couldn't do was physically on the lines, they were getting blown all over the place. I mean, there were times where <laughs> Iowa had four to five guys pancaked on the same play. And what I appreciated was that Frost came out after that game and he appreciated the fact that his team didn't give up, which is that's progress, right? But but the second he said that, he's also like, I never want to see a team that much bigger than us, that much stronger than us. Like it took him no time to diagnose exactly what was wrong because he was seeing yeah. the same crap that you and I were seeing. And yeah. the reality is, is that Zach Duvall's job goals were written for the entire next year. The second that game were done, get guys bigger, get guys stronger. And, you know, Mac, we've talked about it, seven defense alignment squatting 800 pounds or more. All those things that are, that have gone on the war daddy movement. These guys, all I'm going to say is it's going to be harder for Iowa this year to push us over the same way. Yeah, and and I will I will build on that as part of the Husker hype train and the Kool-Aid flowing through the gutters is when your coach is talking about, in a somewhat arousing way for Husker fans, these young kids' bodies and how they've just transformed and they look the part and these are they're looking the part of a Husker football team. Everybody wants to hear that. And that is the one thing that we have been waiting to hear. We want, that's, that is what we were born and raised on. The Husker teams that were going to basically go out there, punch you in the gut and <laughs> knock you backward. Yeah, the monsters. Okay. So it's year two of Frost. You know, uh, Andrew, I'm going to start with you here. Just in general, what are you hoping to see a team in year two of Frost look like? Yeah, I think a lot of it. I, I want to see us. Uh, I want to see us control the ball a little bit better. I want to see our third down defense improve. I want to see us get inside the top fifty on third down defense. I want to see us get inside the top fifty on third down offense. 
control the ball a little bit better. We averaged 19.5 per game. We gave up 19.5 per games in our wins last year. We gave up 37.1 points per game in our losses last year. I want to see us get that number down below 30. Uh, just put some tangible goals out there. Our offense is going to put up over 35 points a game. I, I think that is that is a number that I would stand pretty strongly by looking at the teams that we're playing. I think 35 a game is going to be pretty reasonable expectation. So if our defense make improves, if we stop having those penalties that make you just throw your hot dog onto the field and, and just start having a slow whimper by the third quarter when you have 10 penalties for 150 yards and all of that, that is just shoot yourself in the knee penalties. We cut down on that. We control the ball. We have a defense that's given up, I think, even just less than 28, maybe 30 points a game. And I think that we're going to see a whole lot of improvement and we're going to be a lot more happy with that. David. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, I, I think for me, it's it's scoring early and often. I, I love being the explosive team that, that scores early and often, you know, like the Minnesota and Colorado game, or Minnesota-Northwestern games of last year where you build up these, uh, you score quick, big, build up these big leads. But like Andrew said, you, you got to have less turnovers and you have to have less penalties. And so less turnovers, less penalties, I think we'll be just fine because this team is extremely explosive on offense. And I think we are going to score a lot of points. So I, I'm cool just being the team that outscores them. Obviously, it would be great to have the defense improve. But, I, yeah, I think we're just going to outscore teams. All right, guys. Between Scott Frost's little sly slip of this little news, apparently Nebraska's got a third jersey. Nobody says a peep. It's unbelievable. He just sort of slid that in there. Cam Jurgens center, rotating jersey based on defensive performance. I know we've never done anything like this before, but I'm Scott Frost, so this is going to be pretty cool. And here we go. I mean, like he can do whatever he wants, whenever <laughs> he wants. At this point, I think he's essentially up on this pedestal. That there's Husker fans have always just been devoutly behind their coach, at least until proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it's almost cultish in some ways. I mean, I. He could he could tell us to do literally anything, and whatever he says is going to fly at this point. So I'm going to let him have this. I also just love to think about how like logistically that works, right? Like he's the only one that knows this jersey exists, and does he just have a guy at Adidas that he's just like, hey, uh, yeah, if we keep him under 14, just throw that new jersey. In the <laughs> <laughs> just FYI, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, I need a hundred. I need a hundred and fifty jerseys by uh, you know Thursday afternoon before we go to Ohio State. Tomorrow would be great. Yeah, he just he slips that in there, and it's like, oh, I I guess we've changed something we've never done before ever. But I mean, I, but I am with you guys. He's got all the leeway in the world, and the bottom line is, I don't care what it looks like if we're winning, just win. It's, oh, yeah. it's never I, been the honestly, jersey. I've never blamed our white and white pants, you know, to, for a, a non-victory. You know, I, I blame the lack of clock, right. clock management or or I, offensive identity. But I, I definitely blame the jerseys when we lose sometimes. <laughs> I mean, no, those white ones. Those white ones. Yeah. yeah get those out. <laughs> but honestly, I think Scott Frost should maybe just, like, run the state as a whole. Like, the Nebraska football coach should maybe just be – the governor and or maybe just, I mean, you know, you could cut down on all the, 
all the politics and just say the coach is also going to run the state. I think people would maybe listen a little bit more. Well, he's the purest soul I've ever seen. I mean, this side of Osborne, there can right. be no doubt. <laughs> well, fellas, we, we always finish each show with a, with a parting shot. So I want to give each of you guys an opportunity to, to give that parting shot. So, uh, Dave. Ooh, what is my parting shot? My parting shot is, God, you know, I just, all I can think about is I just want to win. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's it, man. I, I, you know, I tweeted something out this week that, that got a pretty good amount of, of attention where, like, my boss asked me what, uh, you know, what I was most worried about at work. And literally all I could think about was how I just wanted to win. <laughs> I just, I just want to win. You know, I don't, I don't even, like, we're, we've hit the point in the year where I don't think about my day job. You know, it's just like, we're just dialed, we're dialed in completely to winning. And that's my party shot is I just, I just want to win ball games. All right, Andrew. Yeah, and even more broadly than that, I'm just excited for football. I'm excited for game day. I'm ready to catch a hot dog from Trevener Schlinger. I'm ready for a <laughs> hot slice of valves. I'm ready for runs that just melt the inside of my mouth with its volcano lava cabbage coming out at you. I'm ready for all of that. One parting shot. There, a friend, I live up here in Minnesota now. A friend asked me what I thought of P.J. Fleck, and uh, I don't know why, but I'm sticking with it. The first thing that came into my head was he's like a guy that brings a slack line to the park and just calls everybody over and says, hey, look look at this cool trick I'm doing. <laughs> and he gets like these small crowds to come watch, and people are like, hey, that's, that's kind of cool. And then they slowly filter away because they realize it's actually a little bit weird, and they're like, He's also not that good at what he's doing. Uh, so, he's really and then intense. Kind of disperses, and that's Minnesota football in a nutshell right now. I'm sorry to Minnesota; they've never done anything like wrong. I just think that's probably the best analogy I've got for him right now. All right, that's Hus guys. Absolutely, thanks, guys. Awesome job, awesome job talking with you, man. I wish we could have spent a little more time, but uh, let's get the season started, boys. Surgical precision, uh-huh. Southern Alabama. Uh-huh. This is the second in our uh, Husker Influencer series. Mm-hmm. This one is with Chaz and SoCal. Yeah, we go all the way to the West Coast for this one. Uh, this was done uh, towards the end of the season. There's mm. still a few more games left at the time. and so As the sadness was descending, <laughs> yes. But Chaz was a great guy to talk Absolutely. about with that. Yeah. The thing about Chaz, and kind of like with the other people we tend to talk to, um, he's he's a positive Husker fan. He can see the forest for the trees, if you will. But yeah, he's he was kind of one of those guys. He'll break down a lot of film on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter. Um, and we just kind of talked about sort of the state of the program at the time. So um, hope you enjoy it, Chaz and SoCal. All right, welcome back to the Redcast. And Mac and I are joined tonight by Chaz and SoCal. You probably followed him on Twitter and been watching some of the videos that he posts and some of the breakdown and questions that he has. One of our favorite follows on Twitter. So welcome to the Redcast, Chaz. Thank you, thank you. Hey, Chaz, before we go any further, I just want to personally thank you for putting that stuff on YouTube. It is gold for me. I rewatch a lot of the game. Well, I used to rewatch a lot of the games. <laughs> yeah. At the start of the season, I was watching them a lot. But uh, like yeah. to have the radio content on top of it is so much more informative anyway. So thanks for doing that. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that cool? I, you know, I did it for me. In fact, I, to be honest, I've done all this stuff sort of <laughs> selfishly because I want to learn the game better. I'm not that smart. So I do a lot of this stuff for me. 
And then I find out, you know, maybe there's other people like to do it too. I don't need to be selfish about it, so I just share it. Well, thank you very much for making that decision. It's been great. Yeah, and I think a lot it of really people, I think a lot of people appreciate it for no other reason than sometimes, especially on social media, especially on Twitter, where people can be so quick to respond with snarky comments to throw yourself out there and kind of ask a question because you just don't know the answer. I think that's really cool because I think as you're going to find, and as you are finding, there's a lot of people that don't know those answers either. <laughs> that's it. I, I was talking to somebody today about this, that I think there's sort of a, a kind of, a, I don't want to call it a silent majority because they aren't silent, but there's a, I think the majority of fans are probably sort of in that category. We know enough to know what you know, a 4-3 defense or a 3-4 defense is. And maybe know what cover two is, or at least, you know, that that's two guys back, or quarters has four back, or, you know, a few things like that, what sealing the edge is. Okay, so we know that much, but to know far more and understand why these plays work and how they work and why that guy can't seem to do it. And honestly, when I watch it, I think, how do they stop anybody? Because it's really, I, I can't imagine how they can do it. So when I've asked questions, I find a lot of people are asking the same questions that I'm asking. So it kind of, I like to think if we can elevate the intelligence, my own intelligence, mm-hmm. and share that with everybody else, we can elevate the intelligence of the Husker fan base. I think they all want to support. They just also want to be smarter. See, I'm a teacher. An area that's always a struggle for me is do I show plays where we screw up? With my kids, I'm always telling them it's okay to make mistakes. Just learn from them. Right. Because most of my kids have always learned more from their mistakes than if they get it right every time. If they get it right every time, you know, move on. Let's go to the next level. Just a little while ago, I put a, a clip up that doesn't, you know, show somebody looking really great. But if you can discuss it and understand, look, this isn't to, you know, slam players or cut down. Everybody learns. They're going to learn from their mistakes. We're all human. Doesn't mean we're not going to support the guys. They're our team. These are our guys. They wear the end. We just want to learn the game better so we can better be more intelligent fans and supporters. You bring up a good question about putting up a, a play where we underperformed or didn't execute properly. But do you ever think about it in like terms that, you know, Twitter tends to focus on the most negative, And, you know, if you put this play out and it features this one particular guy who is always kind of cannon fodder for where it's like, ah. You know, it's, Twitter just has a tendency to go towards the nasty as opposed to looking and going, oh, yeah, we're close. You know what I mean? Well, here's the way I've handled it. By the way, the same thing for coaches. Sure. Because, uh, you know, right now the defensive staff, uh, for whatever reasons, and, well, there's plenty of reasons you can see that the defensive staff is taking under fire and, and Coach Frost is under fire and individual players are under fire. Somebody else will post other things and shows that players, no, not giving 100% effort. Uh, at least it looks like they're not giving 100% effort. You know, you see all that. And for me, the way I handle all this is, first of all, I respect people. So I'm going in it with the attitude that people aren't going to feel that way. Uh, I'm going in it with the attitude that the majority of Husker Nation feels pretty much the same way I do, which is I hurt for the kids. It's frustrating to see the team play poorly at times. But you know they're giving their hearts. Then for those that want to throw trash out or want to slam, frankly, I just mute them. If they're going to create an audience of negativity, then I'll block them. I'll say, okay, you can't play. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's totally fair, stuff. too. But for the most part, I haven't had to do that. If this is going to be something that's going to tear the program down, I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah that is a- that's exactly where we've been at as a podcast from day one. We've always said we're fans first. We deal in media and we deal in social media and all that. And we're starting to interview a couple of other fans that we call influencers, just like you are. 
And we built a large enough audience that at least when we post something, it can be recognized. It can be seen by a lot of people. It can be seen by coaches. It can be seen by parents. It can be seen by the players. There's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that. We get stuff sent to us on a fairly routine basis. Mm. People will DM us or text it or tweet it to us. And it'll be some kind of rumor, and we just do nothing with it because there's no point in that. It doesn't add any value to the program. It doesn't add any value to the kid. Half the time, they're not right, as we're seeing. And I think, you know, we try to play a very responsible role, and I give you a lot of credit with that, too, is that there's nothing wrong with being positive. It doesn't make you rose-colored and and silly. In fact, I think you've shown to be very intelligent with how you ask questions, and yet we can still be positive in how we interact with the program that we all care for. I think that's one of the reasons you don't have to mute a lot of people is the way you present stuff on Twitter, and I've always liked this about you, is you're never negative about it, and I just kind of like that. Here's the thing. I never played football. Unlike most fans, most fans never played football. I never played. When I was a kid, I was in a full-length brace three and a half years. Have you ever heard of the Shriners? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I was a Shriners kid in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was there for three months, given a 50-50 chance of ever walking again. I've had a great life, and and a lot of great things have happened uh, over the years. But I totally have been, from the spectator standpoint, because I couldn't do sports. The only way I could learn it is by watching. That's why, you know, I'm way behind the eight ball in terms of learning the game. I'm just now starting to really, you know, learn little by little. And this is uh, social media and YouTube and technology has really opened the door for me and hence a lot of other people to finally understand more. And it's fun. Learning is fun. And, of course, there's a teacher in me. Yeah. Do you ever go to Fish Duck on YouTube? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I Yeah, he was great. I I really liked. You can tell where he was coming from. When I hear you talk, it sort of reminds me what he's talking about. He's like, you know, because he kind of came up with his own name for these polling concepts and whatnot. But I mean, like, he did a nice job of breaking it down. I wish I had software like he did to kind of break that down. You know, some of those are out of date. I've got them. Oh yeah, some of those have changed. A lot. Some of the terminology in his earlier ones. What was inside zone and outside zone, and how you could tell the difference? Mm -hmm. Well, that's changed because. Coach has figured, out yeah, this gives it away, so we got to yeah. get it back. So what, what's the name? Yeah. Uh, Fish, Duck. Fish Duck. So I'm not familiar with that, and maybe some of our listeners aren't either. So, Mac, can you kind of explain it? Who is oh, he's, he? He's just got a YouTube channel. It's like I'm not sure if it's fishduck.com, but it's just an Oregon yep, yep. Oregon football fan who goes and breaks down film. Gotcha. And he just, uh, but well, but like Chaz was saying, it is, it is out of date. I think it was started around... 2009 maybe yeah uh to 2013 2014 i don't know it was it was when scott was there though you'll see him breaking down stuff uh with plays and players during the frost time there i don't think it exists anymore uh, i think it got to be too much of a burden financially and otherwise yeah but it was really good as you mentioned there are players that are under fire sometimes there are coaches that are under fire and to some extent that can be fair but they should be under fire for the right things And a lot of times what we see, especially in knee-jerk reactions on social media, is some kid or some coach is getting called out, and then when you actually get a chance to watch the video, something different. So to really break down video, as tough as that is after a loss, that's one of the first things a lot of us don't want to do is watch the video, but to really break it down, you start to learn from it. And one of the things that you've done, you've gone out and solicited the advice of of people that have played the game. I've seen Troy Dumas, uh, Damon Benning, and connect some of the dots on the questions that you've had. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Otherwise, you've heard the term shared ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> I get them all the time where I say, gee, that's a heck of a question. I don't know. 
And that's when sometimes I'll tag in a couple other guys and say, hey, can you guys help me out on this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've mentioned some of them. Trey Neal's another one that's, uh, that's come to Coach Brian down here, uh, he used to coach at Calabasas. He's been great. He's a, a real good uh, help in terms of a lot of this stuff. Some uh, good uh, high school coaches there in Nebraska that have pitched in and helped. And they're qualified to answer. They're the guys I'd really prefer to be the guy doing what you do. I'd rather be the guy asking the questions and getting the responses from the people who know what the heck they're talking about. What's really fun is when you get conflicting viewpoints of those people that all know what they're talking about. Because then you start realizing, you know, here I am trying to come up with a nice, simple answer. And even the people who are smart and who played this game and coached the game don't agree on what the solution is. Sometimes I have to ask the question, translates this to Chaz language, Chaz <laughs> level. And when they bring it down to that level, then I can start to understand. But sometimes they're in a different arena, and I, I sort of say, well, okay, I'll, I'll catch up to you. Well, you know, uh, if we weren't called the Go Big Redcast, I think our other name was Shared Ignorance was the other title of the show. So we <laughs> we, we know where you're coming yeah, from there. Yeah, you guys know more about this stuff than I think you'll add on. I know because <laughs> you're getting into some of these co- You've coached. You see stuff. That's how I got hooked on you guys. When you went to the spring uh, that practice and you start talking about what you saw, and uh, we can start having some good interactions there. That's when I kind of got hooked in. And this comes maybe from the coach inside, but it's hard sometimes to watch a play and not always knowing the intent of what the that's play the caller thing, was yeah. or what the intent of the yeah. call was. And that's the thing, no matter how smart somebody is or if they played it before or not, with my own eyes, I can look at it and go, well, I think this guy's supposed to do this, but I don't know if that's what it was called. So we see a lot of instances right now where we might have two linebackers filling the same gap, and it'll be like, oh, whose gap is that? And I'm like, well, based off of what I'm seeing, I think it's that guy, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if they called something. I don't know if there's a stunt. And that's where it's hard sometimes, no matter who you are, looking at it and saying with all certainty, you know exactly what it is when you're not the one making the call. Right. I'm reminded of a quote I learned, oh, probably 20 years ago. It was a Harvard professor, I think it was, by the name of Simon Kirkdall. And this is a line that's uh, stuck with me all these years. It's not so much what we don't know, but what we think we know that obstructs our vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's a lot of what we think we know out there when it comes to Husker football. To what we think we know about the coaches, what we think we know about this play, what we think we know about this scheme. It's not that we don't know, it's, it's what we think we know. And the catch is getting beyond what we think we know to what is really true. And then everybody benefits. We all have fun learning, and we can be more intelligent and more informed uh, in our support for the guys that uh, are wearing the end. Chaz, you brought a question to us a couple of weeks ago, and it was that the vision for Husker football, and Mac and I at a coach's clinic two years ago, Frost came out and he talked about Husker power, Oregon speed. And it's really, oh, it's, yeah. it's the vision that's yeah. driving the whole future of this program, is that we're going to marry these two concepts together. It's what Frost felt like he couldn't do at Oregon, not as a head coach. Right. So Oregon would go out and destroy 10 teams on their schedule, but they'd play a Stanford, and they couldn't physically yeah. match up power for power. Right. They get to UCF, they start building that concept. And, I mean, I feel like he only thought he was halfway through his build, even though they were an undefeated team. You know, he wanted a few more years, I think, to really take it to the next level. But you asked a good question about what kinds of players are needed at each position for that. What kind of offense does that look like and defense? How does it operate? How does the current personnel match it? How do you recruit for it? Who do you recruit? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, what would be the profile? I think we got the quarterback. I mean, there's a few different places. Yeah, I think there's I, a few positions Adrian, that we that we are recruiting that profile. I agree. Yeah, I mean, Adrian was the first one, and you know, uh, because you heard what Coach Frost was raving about him as every bit uh, up there with better than Milton, and right up there with Marcus Mariota in terms of the kind of uh, ability and talent that, at least in Scott's eyes, he has. So you, you know they want a dual threat quarterback. They want a guy who, who's tough. They want a guy who the power and speed. So this guy who's dangerous, throwing the ball, dangerous with his feet, got to be a good decision maker. That's going to struggle a bit this year uh, for a number of reasons. But then you look at what uh, what are they doing with the offensive linemen? Well, we've seen what they're recruiting. What do you see as uh, the offensive uh, players? What kind of can you think of two or three positions that you could probably nail in terms of what would be the combination or how would it fit with Husker power and Oregon speed? Yeah, I think clearly on the line they're looking for length. And you saw that in the, the last two recruiting classes and what they're continuing to do. Uh, they want guys that are six six and taller almost across the board. They want very mobile uh, linemen. One of the reasons Cam Jurgens is – projected to be this great center for them is that here's a guy that can get to the second level and yeah. to the third level very athletic you know they want athletic powerful, linemen explosive. powerful guys that can cover a lot of space because when we're getting into some of these screen games and, and you're doing these rpos and guys are getting downfield they want linemen that can block and get beyond the first level mac i agree with you with the line and obviously adrian I feel like wide receiver's got to be an area that's looked at because you see with bets coming in, that's a guy that I feel like that changes that mold a little bit. I feel like we're going to have to go that way to get some more size on the outside, period. You know, that we've got big corners in the Big Ten that we have to contend with, and there's just times where you're not going to get separation. We need some 50-50 guys out there, and we simply lack that. And even though with the tight ends, we have that height that hasn't been something we've utilized. So that's something to me, you know, when I look at this offense and I look at the evolution of Husker power and Oregon speed – that's an area where it's going to probably be different than what Oregon ever did. We're going to need bigger guys on the outside. I think, in general, we have a group of small receivers. We're still going to want some small receivers in the future, but you want to marry that with having some big guys, too. We want to have fast backs. You want to have a big back, like a Royce Freeman or like what a Dedrick Mills is. But you also want to still have a Wandell Robinson in the backfield or Maurice Washington. So you want to have multiple guys. Right now, we're not very multiple. We are the itty-bitty committee of receivers until we can get a couple of these big-bodied guys in there. On a side note, one of the things that's been applied to Adrian is he's always overthrowing people. Mm -hmm. Uh, His throws have been high. And part of that, he's got to throw over those linebackers that are playing back. But, so you got to get over the linebacker, but uh, under the, the defensive back playing back, well, that's a pretty small window, and that's one of the reasons you need to have those taller receivers. Again, this isn't mine. This is stuff that people who are smarter than me have shared with me as, as part of what comes with this. Mac and I were at the, the Illinois game in Champaign. We talked about that that whole yeah. night. You know, you're going against a Tampa 2 defense, basically a cover 2. And there's a lot of throws where you're having to get over the linebackers yeah. in front of the safeties. The ball has to be very particularly placed to be able to do both of those things. And when we have nothing but five, nine receivers going up for it, those plays, they end up looking like they're getting killed by safeties. Yeah. When the reality is if that's a 6-3 receiver or, or if that was a 6-7 tight end mm-hmm. who has an extra 60 pounds on them, you can make the exact same catch and it doesn't look like such a wicked hit. 
Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. So I'm thinking about bets or that profile. What are all the attributes you're looking for in the ideal wide receiver? And let's just call it the X receiver just so. Okay, someone explain what the X receiver is. What, what would have been like the split end in the old day, uh, outside receiver on the line of scrimmage? Is that the guy on the strong side where the tight end lines up or the weak side? The strong side is going to be where the, where the tight end is. You're going to be opposite of that typically. Either way, so, so give me the attributes that you want. What are all the things you'd like to have in this uh, wide receiver that's the perfect Husker power, Oregon speed wide receiver? If I was putting together a kid, it would look a lot like Betts. I think he's a very strong vertical threat. He's very long-limbed, too, you know, super long strides. How and he tall can, is he? He's 6'3", six, three. Three, but I bet I would bet this is a total, I'm pulling this out of nothing, but his wingspan looks more like a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guy. Huge okay. hands, big jumping ability. Great he's man. stronger after the catch than he looks. I mean, like a guy who's really physical. You know, the corners in the Big Ten are bigger. We're going to need a little bit bigger, more physical guy able to break some tackles after the initial catch, and then that's what we're trying to do with the spread is get them in space. So Betts is prototypically, as far as athleticism and size-wise, is about perfect because he's also not so tall that he wouldn't be ineffective as a blocker on the outside, too. You didn't know this was coming. Perimeter blocking. You know, one of my go buttons is, uh, again, just cutting, going through film uh, this last week or so, uh, seeing the difference when you got good perimeter blocking, what that can do for the running game. That may be the single thing we miss the most about Stanley Morgan. That you it know, it could be. About. And you don't have to be a huge, big-bodied receiver to be a great blocking receiver. We had the itty-bitty committee of receivers back in the 90s, and they were the most tenacious bunch of dudes, the Reggie Balls and Abdul Muhammad's and yeah. Brendan Holbein's. I mean, it is not – John Federal. You don't have to be a big guy, but it doesn't hurt to also be a big guy if you're willing to stick your nose out there and block. So, I mean, to that point about, like, if I had to pick some prototypical receivers that could fit that X role that we're talking about that Nebraska's had over the last 10, 20 years, a Maurice Purify. You know, I think a Kenny Cheatham, those kind of guys. Now, Purify, I don't know that he blocked the way Purify's that I'd, a good example. I don't though. know that Purify blocks the way that I'd want him to. I mean, that's more of a coaching thing at that yeah. point. And can you get a guy to, to perform like that out there? Now, a position that I think is going to be interesting to see how it evolves here in the, in the next couple of years is tight end. Because we're yeah. seeing what they're doing with the Chris Hickman, and obviously they need to put some weight on him. I really think Legrone was a guy, a body type that they'd like to have had. Obviously, he isn't on the team this year now, but I think that is a style that there's room for kind of a squattier position guy like that, a 6'3", 235, 240 tight end who maybe can get in the backfield a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that would be See, a spot where that guy would be very... We, we saw against Purdue for the first time, I think it was Hickman they put in the backfield alongside yeah. the running back. So it's a two-back setup. And I was just watching Baltimore the other night, and you have... Lamar Jackson, the, the quarterback, and they'll have tight ends or fullbacks essentially in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And right now we don't really have a guy that can really be an H-back. We have six, seven tight ends that, you know, are, they're not built the same way as a, a kind yeah, of a squattier yeah. fullback tight end kind of build like a Legrone could have been. Yeah, well, you, you guys remember me in preseason and offseason. Uh, I kept telling everybody, because nobody was talking about Legrone. Nobody was in that, and I kept saying, keep an eye on him. And this is, you can start to see how he would have been a real asset this year, uh, what he would bring uh, or would have brought that uh, really would have uh, been a, a real asset to the, in terms of uh, not just his blocking, but his athleticism, his uh, ability to separate, uh, to get open. You saw that with Aikens at uh, UCF. 
big guy, but he was—he could stretch the field. He could get open. Very athletic. I tell you what, the guy I like—I like uh, Hickman. When they get a little bit more weight on him, keep his athleticism. He only played uh, just a few snaps. I don't know, five or six snaps against Purdue last uh, a couple weeks ago. And his blocking was good. I would have loved to see him get the one swing pass that uh, was thrown behind him mm-hmm. because uh, he had some blocking. Uh, he might have been able to break it, uh, might not have. I'd like to have seen uh, what he could do when he has to make a move and how he would have applied himself on that play. I think Hickman's going to be good. Uh, is it Volkolek, the guy from yeah. the Rutgers transfer? Yep. Travis Volkolek, yeah, yeah. I know it's been a, a disappointing year, but you got to look at uh, how close they've been and realize a lot of the mistakes haven't been because they've been beaten by better teams, but they've been self-inflicted. You can fix yourself a lot easier than you can try and uh, fix when other people are just other teams are just better than you. Do we have time to go to defense? Yeah. Because I have a better feel for what Husker Power Oregon Speed looks like on offense than what he wants on defense. And the reason why is I think of the national championship game of Oregon when they got stomped by Ohio State. And that was when uh, Scott in particular talked about this is why we need Husker Power. If I could have Husker Power with this team. They're kind of what they're recruiting. They're all 6'7", 6'8", 6'6", some big guys in up front. They were fast, quick feet, elusive. They could break through, and uh, they weren't short, stocky, powerful guys. Mm-hmm. They are fast. They're still powerful. Long arms, had the length. A lot of what they've been recruiting. That's why I'm kind of curious about this. I'm curious about what are they going to be looking for in a pass rusher. If they're going to stick with this 3-4, which it sounds like they're going to, assume, yeah. those linebacker positions. Is the question is maybe are they even getting the type of body that they are desiring? You know what I mean? So is Nash Hutchmacher, is he the frame for the nose tackle that they want? Is that the kind they that shorter but super strong middle guy? I mean, obviously you got Ty Robinson and then you've got Casey Rogers. Those guys are both tall, long guys, but they don't strike me as like overly athletic, you know, pass rushing types. But then you have a Caleb Tanner who's got a lot of potential, a great frame. Even insulin linebacker, it's Snodgrass, it's Henrich, it's um, Jackson Hanna. It's interesting. Are they are, are those the types we can expect to be recruiting? This the secondary is built full of six two two ten guys across the board. Yeah, it's a challenge to me a little bit. The three four is still new for me to try to kind of wrap my arms around because we're just now. I can't believe I'm still saying this, but three years after Diaco, we're still now just transitioning out guys that were Bo recruits. Uh-huh that came here for a 4-3. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So an Alex yeah. Davis, to me, didn't fit anything. I don't know what his best spot would have been. I think he would have been probably... Power forward. <laughs> I think Alex Davis, another 20 pounds on him, hand in the dirt, and being a D-end in a 4-3 is probably the, the, the place I would have put him. When Ben Stilley first got here, at one point he was a outside linebacker yeah. stand-up, and then they threw some weight on him, and they play him at a... He wasn't D, even that bad in coverage. Yeah, D-end as a, in a 3-4. And I look at Ben Stilley, and to me he's more of a 4-3 defensive end, not a 3-4 defensive end. You know, both the Davis twins, they were uh, more 4-3 type recruits than they were for the 3-4. Absolutely. I I see height that they want at that DN. Again, almost yep. to mirror what they want on the O-line, they want length. It's almost they, wingspan versus height. I mean, because I look at Casey Rogers and Tate Wilderman, and I look at them as being very different type of players than Ty Robinson, but they all are 6-6 or taller. Yeah. And they're looking for big guys on the outside there. Now, I think Nash Hutmacher, I always screw his name up. I'm, I'm terrible with names until they get here. 
But he does Let's call him the polar bear. The polar bear, I think, fits just like Darian Daniels fits into that big nose tackle. You need a brute of a dude that can just take up a lot of space and a lot of blockers in the middle. I think so. I think they want that, and that's what they. I remember they had the, that at UCF, big guy in the middle. That was the thing when UCF beat Auburn. A lot of times, mid majors can't compete with power five schools in the trenches. You can always get a quarterback or some skilled players here or there, but you usually get beat up in the trenches. Oh, and when be, yeah. and when UCF won that Peach Bowl, I remember being so impressed with the three down linemen on defense that UCF had. They could hold their own against an SEC offensive line. The offensive line did a pretty good job. They executed properly. Now, sometimes they got beat. I mean, Auburn had some, like Frost like to call them, some creatures out there, but... But they, they executed you know, well. You know, that, you know they started a true freshman at left guard? UCF, because their starting left tackle uh, was injured in the championship game, and he was out for the Peach Bowl. So they moved their left guard to left tackle and inserted a true freshman left guard going against those five stars on the Auburn line. Yeah. Everything uh, they touched down there was gold. I swear, we need to have somebody come through Memorial Stadium with some sage and just get some demons exercised because I just, what the heck's going on? Well, the thing that I I believe this with everything in me is that when you do things the right way and you do them long enough, good things will eventually start to happen. And a lot of Husker fans right now, if I go on Twitter and write this, they, they don't want to hear it. So it's not even worth me mentioning it in that space right now. But there's a lot of good things happening right now behind the scenes. We're just not seeing it on the field yet. But the strength and conditioning, guys are bigger, stronger, faster. That is definitely, without a doubt, happening. We are starting to recruit that mythical 500-mile radius so much better. The Nash Hutmachers, mm-hmm. the Prochaskas, <laughs> the Corcorans, yeah. the, the Ben Hartz. We are going into Big Ten country and grabbing kids that would be going and playing at Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota and Michigan and, and all those schools, and we're getting them to come here. That's going to pay dividends at some point. And we're keeping Frost, kids in it, state, too. We're keeping kids in state. Betts is a good example yeah. of that, too. And Frost is building up a walk-on program so that by next year, we've got the go-ahead to get up to 160 kids on the team. And by next year with 160 kids, probably 135 of them roughly are going to be guys that have been here since Frost came here. And the the other big change that happens next year is that I think that you're going to start to see better depth because we're not going to be so hesitant to play some of the young guys. This year, we were really playing that four-game redshirt rule. And I think if you had to ask Frost after the season, he probably wishes – there are some guys he would have played for the season, knowing what he knows now. With the way that Maurice Washington ended up being, oh, yeah. I think Ramir Johnson would have been a guy that we would have played. But you know what? We didn't know that at that time. So, But next year, you're just going to have a bigger pool of players yeah. plus a group of walk-on guys that are now in their third years in the program. Those are guys that can start to fill in a lot of depth. So that's an area we really were hurt this year. We just we had a depth gap mm. between where Riley and Frost during that transition. We almost lose an entire class from that 2017 class. There's not many there. Yeah, that's a, it. Was a big hit. Uh, last week when I was posting, I responded to somebody on uh, uh, inside linebacker. We have one senior uh, this year, Mo Berry. He'll be gone. We have two juniors. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Honus uh, Miller, Colin Miller. Guess what? We have nobody else in this junior. No redshirt sophomores, no true sophomores. Everybody else is either a redshirt freshman or a true freshman. Yep. I think it's like, uh, I want to say like 10. One senior, two juniors, 10 freshmen. Yep. Uh, by the way, another name, you don't want to forget this one. Keep this one back because uh, this is another one that was happened late in uh, fall camp. That people, you know, when it happens and with everything else, it can sometimes get lost in the shuffle. 
Remember that kid from Colorado State that transferred back? Schweiger. He was actually playing, yeah. He was actually playing uh, for Colorado State. He left Colorado State to come back and walk on for the Huskers. He's actually played. So he'll be a, a redshirt sophomore next, next year. I'm not quite sure if that's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. And, and guys like Joey Johnson, Chris Cassidy, that are walk-ons that are going into their third years. Guys like Hannah and Snodgrass and Heinrich. Reimer, I don't know who out of all that group is going to be the guy that steps up, but what it does is it provides depth behind Miller well, and Connors, and it pushes them. Because right now... That's what I was getting at. The depth is... People, if they're, if they're saying, well, I don't see any hope, I don't see any, I don't see any progress, well, that's because you don't usually see that much when there's that much lack of depth. Yep. Right now, the progress is in developing depth. It's in the young guys that aren't playing much yet. So, Chaz, let's take that for a second. We're coming off of a bye week right now, and we have three games left on the season. There is a four-game redshirt rule, but there's a number of kids that maybe we've intentionally not played because of the redshirt rule, but now we're kind of free to do it. Yep. We can go and if Jackson Hanna plays the last three games, he can do it. If Ben Hart plays the last three games, he can do it. I mean, Let's get Ronald Tompkins out there. Ronald, whoever it is, <laughs> it, there's an opportunity in these last three games to see some players out there that we haven't seen. Because I think at the end of the day, the thing that's probably frustrated some fans out there as much as anything is when you see the same mistakes being made by same players, without that depth, you're not getting pushed. And I hate to say it this way, but even like Martinez, it actually took an injury for him to get off the field for us to see the backup come in. And I think Martinez is still the best QB on the team. But it was seeing a backup come in here that is going to push him. Vedral and McCaffrey are going to push Martinez, oh and that's God. a good thing. Well, listen, I'm not rooting for a player. I don't really care if it's Martinez or Vedral or exactly. McCaffrey. That's a moot point to me. I want the best player, but what I want is that competition that forces the best player to come out. I love Mo Berry. I think the guy is a, a true black shirt, as sure. true as you're ever going to get. And yet the guy struggled at times this year, and there was never anybody to push him. And I don't think that made him better. That's the biggest issue. And How many times have you heard Coach Frost when he was interviewed? I know when he was on Big Red Wrap-Up a few weeks ago. He referred to, again, I wish we had a few more players in some of these different positions to go back on. They're just lacking depth. It's year two. It's what he's inherited. Forty, I don't know how many uh, recruits in the last two classes are gone. So when you lose 40-some kids, scholarship players, you lose depth. Yep. This takes you back to, because, you know, Saturday's Wisconsin. And uh, and then it's on to Maryland and then Iowa. The last three games, who plays? Who do you want to see play? I'd love to see Ben Hart get a chance. Yep. I'd like to see the chemistry of Ben Hart at right tackle and moving Farniak to right guard, although it could be Hickson goes to right guard. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I, and, I uh, absolutely agree. It would be nice to see in these last three games of the year the best version of this team. Whatever that there looks like, I'd like to see the best version of what they can do. And, and Chaz, I think you're right. I think most Husker fans I talk to – we can see the writing on the wall. This team is where it is, and this and as a program, we've got this much work to do. We clearly have, in my opinion, the right coaching staff and the right model that we're using, but it unfortunately is going to take more time than any of us wanted to either admit or were led to believe. Whatever is what it is, but... Well, even surprised Scott. I mean, I think it did heard. too. I think it surprised oh, Scott, no, and I think no people question. are mad at him about it. And it's weird. It's like, one hey, people, he thought they'd people, be better. I remember... I remember one interview where uh, when someone came up to him and said, well, 
Bill Moose thinks, uh, says uh, progress would only be winning six games and kind of shrugged that off as well. I think all of us would be would think that uh, would be disappointing if we only won six games. And he is he correct. He thought he had more. <laughs> and to be honest, you can't put it all on one guy, but uh, honestly, nobody would have predicted that uh, Adrian would struggle the way he has this year. I think there's a lot of things that contributed to it. Uh, they they made a decision to start Cam Jurgens, and that meant to, for how many games the center snap was unpredictable. And then it got to the point where he couldn't count on a good snap, and so that throws the timing off. And then uh, the offensive line, uh, you know, they were replacing some people that met the, the running game that they were expecting to have, and they had had in the past. They didn't have the running game, so the past much more pressure. I think a lot of things have contributed to make him a little bit more jumpy. He's been a little bit less decisive, plus getting injured hasn't helped. But uh, even before he's injured, he was missing on passes, and his decision-making was hesitant. And I think a lot of things have contributed to it. But when we look at this year and going into the last three games, I think the difference is Scott thought preseason that Martinez would play a lot better and the team would play better. It just hasn't turned out that way. You remember the, the Prove It post I made back in August after all the hype and everything. This is what they need to prove. And one of the points of Prove It was finish. Finish drives, finish games. If they can finish drives, can they beat lesser opponents? Put teams away when you got a chance. Then you can play your backups. You play your subs. You play some rules fresh and get them some meaningful playing time. So much happens if you can finish. You can do it. You've shown you can do it. You just don't do it consistently. Yep. And to me, if they can do that, they've got the ability, they've got the players, they've got the coaching staff, they've got the concepts. They can do it. They just have to learn to be able to do it consistently. Well, Chaz, this has been wonderful. We've got to do this again. This is not the end of our discussion. This is the just the beginning of future ones with you. We're going to cross our fingers for a couple more wins here. I want to give you the final word. What do you want to let the Redcasters know? What's the most important thing on your mind? I think it's a lot more good than people may be aware of. It's just, it's kind of like an iceberg. Most of it's under the surface, and you're not seeing it. We're not seeing the scout team. We're not in the strength and conditioning room. We're not seeing uh, a lot of what the young players are, how they're developing, but that's where a lot of the talent is. This is a talent that is recruited to fit the schemes and the culture. A lot of that class of 2019 came from winning programs. They played in state championships. They won state championships. That's where the future is. That's where we're headed. And you may not see it now. It may not be translating on the field yet. Although they, we still got a couple games, I'm still, I'm not throwing out Iowa just yet, and I'm not throwing out Maryland just yet. Uh, we may still see something. We'll see. But my eye is still looking ahead to uh, off-seasons and the development, because that's where the icebergs really get built. Amen, and, and go Big Red. Thank you so much, Chaz. This is the third of that series. Uh, this was done with Chris from Husker Hype. Mac, it was done at the very end mm-hmm. of the season after the Iowa game. Right. So, you know, we knew everything that happened at that point. We knew we were 5-7. <laughs> right. uh, our dreams were not met, but uh, still a great talk. Yeah, I would recommend listening to these influencer series in the order that we give them to you because <laughs> you can st- you can just hear the tone change throughout. And at the very end where we're trying to, you know, pick up the pieces of our broken dreams here. And, you know, we all grew throughout the season. We all got a little bit older. So hope you enjoy this one. Husker Hype. Mac and I uh, are lucky enough tonight to be joined by Chris from Husker Hype. Welcome to the Redcast. Hey, thank you guys. Appreciate you having me on the uh, Go Big Redcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saving that up. (laughs) Dave will love that. (laughs) 
first off, tell us a little bit about Husker Hype. You know, how long have you been doing this, and and what is Husker Hype kind of all about? I started Husker Hype about three and a half, four years ago. It was more of just a outlet to connect with players, with fans, and I kind of recognized that a lot of what goes on on the sports world and, and players uh, sharing their takes is is on Twitter. So I just kind of wanted to get involved with that and. From there, it kind of took off to a little bit more. I initially started it as Husker Hype, just to share takes kind of anonymously, and it just kind of took off from there. So it's been a quite the journey, and I enjoy being on there a lot. Obviously, you know, one of the reasons we have you on the show tonight, you're part of our Husker Influencer Series that we're doing. <laughs> uh, we've talked with Husk guys. We've talked with Chaz from SoCal. The Husker Dark Web. <laughs> yeah. and- Part of the whole purpose of this series that we're doing is just talking with other like-minded Husker fans that, you know, we can be critical, we can right. critique the team, and at the same time, you keep some kind of sensibility of positivity and also progress. And I think that right. kind of leads us into this last season, which on the surface, it's 5-7, and seven, it's a losing season, it's a third straight year without a bowl, and yet I think we can all see the improvement, we can see areas that need to get better, but that's a piece of what all of our different entities on the web have been doing, is that we're, we're sitting there trying to kind of push some of the positive. Right. I would agree with you, definitely. Um, it's it's nice to be able to get on there after maybe a, a tough loss and kind of share the positives and go over things, and especially for me, I live out here in Arizona, so I mean, I'm not around a lot of Husker fans all the time, although I, you know, I was talking with you earlier, Honky, about how, how many Husker fans there are actually out here, but I'm usually hunkered down in the war room, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely been nice to be able to get on there and get out the frustrations and uh, share the good times too. Sometimes I feel like the media or the fan base gets portrayed as very reactionary, you know, people are always calling for coaches' jobs already, I'm like, what? Maybe some people are, but the overwhelming majority of Husker fans I talk to don't think like that. I mean, that's just absurd, but that's what gets commented on, and that's what gets, you know, on Twitter and, and has traction. That drives me nuts. So, like, when we can get together and do stuff like this and just talk about it, I'm like, yeah, we're frustrated. And, like, nobody wants to be at this many wins for the season. I mean, five, that was unfathomable, <laughs> you know, in, in July. Yeah. So, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, well... Am I going to be realistic or am I going to hate my life? You know, you have to reassess, man. This has been the season of reassessments for sure. <laughs> it's definitely tough. I mean, I don't know where you guys were with your preseason predictions. I was at 8-4. and four. I kind of got reamed for that 8-4, and four, you know. I My handle, Husker Hype, didn't really help with me uh, predicting 8-4 and four when everyone else was predicting 10-2. and two. <laughs> uh, Well. But, I mean, I said 8-4, and four and I, I thought that would have been great. And I mean, obviously right now it would have been pretty sweet. It just would have been really nice to get that six, but. We're here, and we'll talk about some of the positives that we saw, but also definitely a lot of room for improvement. You know, we uh, we do preseason predictions, and mostly because Dave and Boomer kind of force them upon us. Yeah. I would prefer to never do one if I had the choice. I pick us to go 12-0. and 0. I, I did that this year. I'll do it next year. I'll do it the year <laughs> after that. And, you know, the reality is is that it's hard to have predicted how this season would have gone. Even the, the most real of Husker realists, I don't know, could have envisioned all the issues that we had. Yeah. And it's not just Husker fans drinking Kool-Aid. When you think of Joel Klatt picking us in the top 15, Brett Siancio with pick six For previews sure. has us winning the West. Phil still has going to the Rose Bowl. You had the runway. You it was had, ridiculous. Well, and that, that kind of transitions us. I think a lot of the, the hype that came out of the beginning was, number one, predicated off of we have this quarterback already in place. He's going to make the progressions that you would expect in year two that you saw in Milton. Certainly, Frost has this history with other QBs, Vernon Adams and Mariota and so on, that it's just obvious that we're going to take that next progression 
with Martinez. And for a number of reasons, that progression didn't quite happen either early in the season and then certainly as the year went on, I think as the injury started to pile up a bit too, it just never came out of Martinez for that year. It was really tough to watch because you just wanted him to break out. You just know what he's capable of and you just wanted him to rip that knee brace off like Forrest Gump and just you know, <laughs> freaking take off, you know? Especially that first half of the year. He was just trying to really throw the ball first and he just really struggled to take off and I don't know. I'm not sure if it was the you know the playbook or it would, if it was the, the coaches saying we really want you to, to go through your progressions and, and hit that open guy first and then take off. But uh, the indecisiveness was clear, and you know everyone really saw that. But going back to obviously the predictions and everything to win the West, and yeah, it was it was definitely predicated off of Nebraska has this top three, top four in the nation Heisman contender quarterback. It just never really came to fruition. We probably need to be careful. I think going into the off season too is. We don't want to get too much onto the bandwagon of, well, he's clearly done. There's a lot of good that I think Adrian Martinez has left in him for the next two years at Nebraska. I, I do believe that. I also believe that there has to be a quarterback competition. There should be anyways, but there definitely needs to be one. And we've got the horses at the position to have, a, I think, a legitimate competition, Mac. You know, if, if they're going to truly make this an open competition, he's going to have to play at such a level that he can't keep those guys on the sideline. And he, he is capable of that. I do believe he is capable mm-hmm. of that. For whatever reason, that never manifested this season at all. And you'd see flashes, which was frustrating. But at no point you can tell me that he had the same kind of pop and acceleration he had last year. That's just not true. And so many of his deep balls, I felt like he tried to guide or toss. He didn't hardly ever let it rip on some balls. So I just, there was just a lot of hesitation, not just in running, mm-hmm. but in his passing game too, and in his reads sometimes. So just the overall bogging down of Adrian. I mean, everything was two clicks slower when you thought it was going to be at least five faster, you know? So, it was, yeah. so he's opened the door yeah. and fans are going to be clamoring for Luke no matter what. I mean, yeah. it's the first interception, the first fumble. I don't care. The first time Adrian stubs his toe then it's going to be Luke McCaffrey time. But, I mean, that's on Adrian. Hey, this is big boy football. You know, we all pick Mm -hmm. players that are favorites, but it's like, just root for the team, man. Like, I'm sure the coaches want the best guy out there. I've heard many people say that they're concerned that Frost is stuck on Martinez because he's his hand-picked guy. And, and, like, Luke McCaffrey's well, not they're hand-picked? All, yeah, they're all his yeah. hand-picked guys. Well, where did he show up yeah. from? <laughs> Bus Tuhike, who's that guy? <laughs> I think what we all want... That's and ridiculous. Th- this is a tenet of the history of Nebraska football, is to have competition. Frazier and Beringer had competition going into their senior years in 95. Yeah. Osborne said, after that season was done, was that Beringer threw one extra interception in fall camp. They were grading every single play, every snap, yeah. and that that one extra interception was the difference between Beringer and Frazier starting the beginning of the 95 season. I mean, there's competition with those hey, guys. Jalen Hurts got replaced by Tua wow. Tonga Viola. So, I mean, like, it happens in big boy football. May the best man win. That's all I'm saying. You're like, I'm sure the coaches want to win the game. I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost positive they want to win. What did you think about the play of the quarterback position as a whole this year? I think out of all of them, Bedro might be the best at running that tempo and, and getting them moving and getting them going. And he might not have maybe the arm strength or, or the top end speed or the burst of McCaffrey. But I mean, he was definitely fun to watch and nice to have. Uh, obviously, Luke is just a freak athlete. You can definitely tell that he's kind of easing into it still with the college game and the speed. I mean, he gets up to speed, but just kind of the way he finishes runs. Obviously, he's explosive. He's really fun to watch. And then um, going back to Adrian, it was just he had so many things. It was like, oh, man, it's not him. And But at the same time, he would make some really good plays. and He would make some nice cuts and, and everything. Um, we got to be able to run shorter passes and, and screens. And it just seems like Adrian really, really struggled with those screen passes. He, if he happened to get them over the linemen, they were just rockets. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have that touch. 
I still feel like Adrian will be able to work and figure it out this offseason, but he's it's definitely a competition, and other guys are going to push for it. I mean, Luke wants it, dude. When you see him mm-hmm. out there, he, he wants he's, to be he's, out there. He's, yeah. he's such a gamer. He's, yeah. he's on the sidelines screaming and yelling and like, God, we need that so bad. Like, yeah, and Nebraska just... fans like that stuff, too. They see yeah, that, and that yeah. kind of fires them up, whereas Adrian is kind of that contemplative, real low-key dude. You know, right, and, and right. with Adrian, I could make the excuses early on in the season. You know, we're getting high snaps. It's throwing off the tempo. You know, Mo was in. Mo was out. You know, we didn't have a run game yet. We're breaking a new line. All that's true. All that contributed to him having a less than stellar season. But there were also times mm-hmm. where he had time in the pocket yeah. and there was an open guy. And he would overthrow it by a mile for no reason. Those were the hard ones for me to excuse. He still dropped a few dimes. But yeah. like the passing game, I was surprised to see him struggle in the intermediate game like he has. Yeah, the analysis paralysis that I think is part coaching, part quarterback, being at the Colorado game, that third down in, in overtime where he got sacked, he's in the pocket, and if he takes two steps to the right and just takes off, there's 40 yards of open wow. field. And a year ago, he sees that and he takes it. That's and so, it's so strange. This, and it's that's, not like we it, haven't seen him do it. What we saw this year was the regression, and that was the position that I think led most of the people to the preseason predictions that they, you know, they certainly made. Certainly it did. Running back-wise okay. this year, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, it was just obviously just such a funky deal at running back. And at the end of the season, I, I really do think Mills was kind of that Ozigbo guy. He just mm-hmm. he needed those reps. And you could see at the beginning of the season the way he would finish runs. He kind of left a few yards out there and a couple of those fumbles. But, man, he really figured it out. He was fun to watch. They really got some something going with that outside run, that bash team. And that was fun to mm-hmm. watch that, especially against Wisconsin. And then, you know, as I spoke with you earlier with Wandale, just such a massive talent. We need him. We need him throughout the entire season and his skill set. He can line up at running back, can line up in the slot, he can line up wide receiver, but he's, he's not meant to take multiple reps between the tackles in Big Ten play. And right. just so many times, just seeing him run up the middle and yeah, he, he burst a few and get maybe five or six, and that's a great run, but man, he felt it and he had to earn those and watching him get smacked sometimes in the middle like that it was just it was just kind of rough to see whereas Mills is built for that and running people over coming in next year you know obviously you got Savian Morrison who set some big time records down there and um is he from Oklahoma I believe yeah Tulsa I mean obviously great football down there so and then uh you know Marvin Scott obviously had some help and then really really hope that Ramir can be that second quick step guy Mills the pounder, and then, you know, you got Ramirez, and then you still got Wandale out there, maybe in the slot, taking some handoffs as well. And did we really ever run a true, like, jet sweep this year? I think Wandale had a few. I don't know if you call them technically jet sweeps or not. Plus, it's hard to tell what position he was in either. So, What's your guys taking on some of those late-game running back personnel decisions? My feeling is, if we would have known that Mo wasn't going to be ready to go for the season, or if it was going to kind of go like this, we probably would have never redshirted Ramir, and probably would have had him, you know, at our disposal. I think that four game rule we kind of got cute with with him, right. and I think that burned us. And in the past, that's not something you do with running backs. If you've got a good running back, they don't redshirt, and that's just how it goes. And I, I get why they did it at the point of the season we were at. Maybe you don't want to burn the kid, but, I mean, from Mills directly to Wyatt, Missouri, and nobody in the middle, that's just not going to cut it in our conference. It's just not going to get it done. And that being said, you know, we still were third in the league rushing. So, I mean, there's yeah. that's the kind of stuff you see 
And I'm like, man, when we can get this up to a level and some depth. The thing with next year is we're going to be counting on guys, again, short of Mills, that we've never really seen perform. I mean, Ramirez got a very small sample. Ronald Tompkins, you know, that guy, he might as well be Adam Taylor at this point. We don't know if we'll ever see him play or not. We'll hear about his talent, but will he get on the field? I don't know. Well, he's got to get healthy. That's and then, you know, one. Sevian Morrison, who looks like a great talent, but I'm just not going to fall in the trap of waiting on a freshman to to kind of wow me. You don't want to have to burn Wandell to the ground so early in the season. Well, you know, he shouldn't be. That's, 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 not, that's what I'm saying. That's Somebody not the, has to step up in that backfield along with Mills and, right. that, that can spell those guys so we don't have to burn him And like sometimes that. that's going to be a QB, and the QB run needs to be there. Well, and and that, amen. that wasn't always there this year at, at times. You know, to your point there, Chris, you talked about at the end of the season. Well, let's look at that last game, Iowa. And I was the first one, you know, first half, I'm texting the, the other guys on the Redcast, and I'm like, good grief, man, run the damn ball at these guys. I mean, I literally became run the damn ball guy because of all the side screens, and, and that's been talked about ad nauseum. But I go back and I look at the stats right now, and Nebraska, we ran 79 plays against yeah, Iowa. that's a lot. 56 of them were run plays, 23 were passes, which is actually – I, I love the percentage. I, I truly do. But I've actually heard that the opposite of people being negative at the end of the game where, where we should have been throwing the ball a little bit more. I, oh, you just can't. Ple- I mean, you're not again, gonna be is that everybody or is that just a few morons who got enough likes on, well, their, on their tweet? That my big thing is we talk so much about recruiting of receivers, and I know we're going to move on to receivers here in a second. We need bigger receivers. Don't get me wrong. But it's crazy how when you get a quarterback outside of the pocket and you stress the defense that way and the defense has to start to come up and play you, it's amazing how you can throw it deep to even short guys. J.D. Spillman's not real tall, and yet McCaffrey getting outside to the left and bringing up defenders, he was a wide-open receiver for that. Right. Yeah. Also, the tight end. Downfield, the tight end. I mean, think back to like one of the first plays of the season, Jack Stoll's streaking straight down the, the hash marks. Yep. Wide open. Or I think it was Wisconsin. That block, Allen, block, 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 and he came off and mm-hmm. he released yeah. wide open. Like, yeah, definitely just throwing it downfield more to even tight ends. Those guys are tall. They're certainly <laughs> Super high- tall. I like what they tried to do at the very end of the year, getting Hickman out there as a wide receiver. I think that was smart. You know, yeah, definitely. He could be a tight end three years from now. He could be a tight end next year. I, you know, whatever. We'll see how he develops. But right now, if he's built like a six-six receiver, play him as a six-six receiver. It, it, it doesn't even really matter the way we do the offense either. I mean, he no. can grow and stay in the field that entire process. You know, like they move those guys so much. He he could be such a weapon in this offense. You know, like, that's the kind yeah. of stuff gives you hope. You know, moving on to the wide receiver position because I feel like personally on the offensive side of things. It's probably been one of the more underperforming units. And I say that knowing that Wandale was great, but I kind of feel like Wandale came in great, you know, and that was just sort of, that was just him being him. The lack of development in that position group has been irritating. Yeah, I don't feel too good about it, to be honest with you. I didn't really feel too good about the wide receivers this year. I guess I'm kind of with you on it's kind of the, for young guys and you guys coming in, I mean, no matter what stars you are, what your huddle tape looks like, it's, it's a different ball game when, when you get there and mm-hmm. until, until we see something and we see some passes and we, you know, we see it happen. It's just really hard to get too rallied up behind it. Hopefully we get that Juco, that Omar Manning guy, maybe that, uh, I think he's a decommit from Miami. His name is, I think, Marcus Fleming. Yep. Yeah. We need to replenish the cupboard, and obviously, wide receiver. They got to get a few guys there to help out. It's, it's tough. I mean, you don't you don't have that Stan, or you don't have that Quincy Nunnall like we've had in the yeah. past. That, it's crazy how many good wide receivers we have had that would really thrive in the system that we're using right now. That we just 
you know, don't have on the roster currently. It's also crazy how quickly a room can change and flip. I mean, this whole season, you know, we heard at nauseum about how short we were, and yet in literally in one month, as the new year starts up and the offseason starts up, we'll have Xavier Betts on campus. If Chris Hickman stays at wide receiver and develops into that, maybe maybe that's his role this mm-hmm. offseason. You bring in any one of those JUCO receivers you talked about, whether it's Omar Manning or, you know, even with uh, Xavier Hutchinson, any one of those guys that could be here, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you can fairly quickly flip a room around. But that just as, in height though, but what are they just do in on height? The field? But that's that's, that's the, the point. That's the thing. We talked about last year, Mac, when we went to the coaches clinic mm-hmm. and we watched the practice, that O line was too deep and looked the part. You notice how I'm transitioning over to the line here. but Nicely done. But looking the part and playing the right. part are two completely different things. Chris, maybe I'll, I'll throw this over to you. Is there an area of the offense that you think showed the most improvement over the year and an area of the offense where you didn't see that improvement? I thought that the improvement across the whole low line was pretty good. I mm-hmm. mean, going from the high snaps and then the pulling guard with those bash plays that we had with, you know, Mills on the outside and Cam getting to the second level on some linebackers sometimes. Yep. And the pass pro was atrocious. I would say probably the O-line had improved the most. I agree. Um, I, Hymas yeah. had a sneaky good year at left tackle. He graded out very he's well a, in some of those yeah, pro ratings. He's got that nasty to him too. He's he's the, he's one of those guys that's got that, that what they're talking about that nasty that mm-hmm. finished the play. I think Farniak's a little nasty in some ways too. Yeah, but, but you and know, I'm not talking about 15 yard penalty nasty. You know, not, like, no but, one's talking incognito here. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you kind of got to have that, and I, I think Frost is looking for that. You know, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. I think the area of the offense I think improved the most by far was was the O line from season's beginning to the end. And what I would love to see this offseason going into next year is, you know, we, we go all mid-90s, we shave the heads, and, uh, you know, we get, <laughs> we get, we get the pipeline. Bunch of barbed wire tattoos. We get the pipeline going there, baby. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. I'll put some Converse on. I don't care. Well, conversely then. Conversely. Nice. Nicely done. Conversely, what area did you see struggle the most from the beginning to the end? That's got to be quarterback and Adrian. Sure. Never really clicked, never really found it. It was tough to watch, and he loved the kid. And I still think that he can come back and be be the guy. I just wonder, too, you know, with preseason and the Heisman stuff, if it really did get to him. And he's the spotlight now. He's a sophomore. He's a captain. He's, he's, he's everything, you know. He's expected to do a lot. He's expected to carry the team. Where the first year, it was like, man, he can just go out there and, and gun it. When you're watching it on TV, sometimes you don't – it looks like he's got time, and it looks like he should be able to step up and run. But you don't realize what a good job that defensive line is doing of keeping their their rush lane sound. They look blocked, but until he passes them, they can disengage and get him right away. It it looks bad on TV. It makes them look indecisive. But but you're right that defenses were playing him smarter this year than they were last year. All that said, we all see the struggles. I'm not excusing any of that either. But this is the Big Ten, and this is what Frost and staff have to deal with. I'm like, we're gonna see good coaching. We are gonna get scouted. Everybody's got a huge staff. You know, nothing's going to get missed. There was one play, I believe it was this Wisconsin game, and, and we ran an empty set. You could see the linebacker come back off the line. Obviously, he's spying the quarterback, and Martinez ran straight to him for, like, a big bear hug of, like, two yards. <laughs> <laughs> they knew that was coming. <laughs> you know, Frost alluded to this a little bit. Mac, you mentioned it on a show about a month ago, how, you know, you said, wait till the season's done. Frost might mention an injury or two mm-hmm. for Martinez. And immediately after the Iowa game, Frost said, you know, he'd been banged up a bit. Let me ask you this. If, say, the staff had a chance to do it over again, and maybe we're assuming that Adrian's been hurt most of the year. Okay. Would it have been worth burning McCaffrey's red shirt this year to maybe win two or three more games? 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I think I <laughs> Me would. Me too. I, I, honestly, I honestly would. I think <laughs> you got to win games. you got to win games. Even if they could have won two more games, that's bowl eligibility. And maybe one of those games is Iowa. And like I think back to this year, too, and it's just like, we didn't have that one really feel good uh, signature win. I mean, no. the best win was that Northwestern late kick. I mean, that was that's the only team we that. didn't beat last year that we beat this year. Like right. that's it. it. Just, that's the only like that. improvement. And we lost the teams we beat last year. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think if you asked Luke himself, he probably would have said that too. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm not even <laughs> sure if I asked the staff, and I guaranteed him that scenario that they would even say no, well, but. But I think at a certain point in the season, maybe the numbers get away from you. It's like, ah, well, the reason, what do we do? The reason I think it's a valid question that you asked, Mac, is that we've all heard we were an inch away from being 9-3. and three, And we were. We were up collectively 41-3 to three on Colorado, Indiana, and Purdue. And we lost all three of those games. Obviously, the Iowa game. We are <laughs> very winnable game, right? I mean, we're talking inches, right? Now, the pessimist could sit there and say that, you know, we could have lost to Illinois and Northwestern too, right? So we are inches away from three and nine or nine and three. And the point is, is that I think as we look back on that season, if we thought that there were players that could have played that could have helped make us nine and three over three and nine or five and seven, yeah, yeah I would take any one of those scenarios. Yeah. If it was playing Ramir Johnson, if it was playing, uh, McCaffrey, if it was, you know, Ben Hart earlier and, and moving Farniak to guard, whatever it would have been. Yeah, but um, in four years from now, when we're challenging for a national championship, I'm going to come back to both of you guys. I'm like, aren't you glad he redshirted now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as we have like a hundred other new guys there, you know, between now and then, right? You know, obviously, if we're going to be a championship level team in the West and in the conference as a whole, it's also got to start on the defense. Defense wins the titles. We, we did improve. In yep. spots here. There's a article I read last week from uh, Sipple about, you know, how the defense made improvements, just not enough. As I look at, at the last season and where I think that we got better and where we need to keep improving, let's look at that front seven. And Chris, you and I, we talked a little bit. I think we both felt that the D-line made a lot of progress this year and, and looked pretty good, held their own. And I think there's a lot of promise there in the future. Yeah. I mean, I thought the D-line played well enough to win the game. Those big guys in the middle did a great job of stuffing a lot of the interior runs. Just sometimes kind of a little bit slow to the maybe the edge or those linebackers not, you know, in right position or we're trusting their eyes just kind of cost us a few of those gas runs. But stopping the run, I, I thought we did a decent job. You know, you lose Carlos, you lose Khalil, you, you lose um, Darian. So then you have Damian, uh, Stilly. Ty Robinson, which, uh, I mean, I really like Ty Robinson. Who else? Casey Rogers, uh, Keem Green, mm-hmm. uh, Wildeman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tate Wildeman's a guy I never think about either. You got those guys. Yeah. There. DeAndre and Thomas. DeAndre Thomas. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. DeAndre Thomas. He played well, I thought, in a few games. He had such a nice play on an open field uh, tackle on Jonathan Taylor in that Wisconsin game. Yep. That swing out, and it was him, and man, he wrapped up and brought him down. That was beautiful. I think Stilly came on well at the end of the season, too. You know, he was playing hungry. The utter size of our defensive line is going to be something new next year. And we're talking now three seasons, three off seasons in with the Duval effect. Like, what could that look like for us? You know, like, regardless of wins and losses, and I know it's all about wins and losses at the end of the season, but watching that Iowa game, that was not the same Iowa game I had watched in the years past. Watching that Wisconsin game wasn't the same Wisconsin game I watched in years past. We were hitting all the way through. Listen, a little bit of movement from those offensive lines to our defensive line isn't necessarily a loss. Those are really good offensive lines. We weren't getting buried. And like that that kind of we've shored that up so much in the two years. Yes. That's something going forward. If we can get linebackers in the back, knowing what they're doing and filling in and hitting and bringing the wood, it changes quickly. 
we need a pass rush eventually to come either from oh, the D line or, yeah. or the outside backers. Or but, aliens. We need a wizard. Well, I don't care. You look at the end of the Indiana game and the Purdue game. You look at the initial reverse that Iowa ran for 50 yards on us. A lot of that wasn't because teams were running up the gut on us and pushing us around. It was not setting the edge. Let's transition into the linebackers there, Chris. You know, how is that room going to change going into to next season? It was so painful sometimes to watch those teams with those big, lugging, slow quarterbacks <laughs> run the RPO and rumble down the field for eight yards on the outside. And it was just painful to watch that. We got killed so many times by that RPO. We need guys just attacking and, and linebackers attacking. If you're thinking about next year with the backers, um, you have Honus, obviously. He came on really well at the end of the year. Colin Miller and then Henrich Jackson Hanna. Reimer is going to be, you know. Yeah, man, Reimer made that great open field tackle. Gunnarsson, I really like Gunnarsson. Yeah. I believe he just recently announced he's enrolling early, so we'll have him here in a couple weeks. The backers could be a lot better, I think, as a whole. We have potential in the linebacker group to grow and, and get a little better. I think there are some bodies back there. And I know going into this season, we were all very concerned about the inside linebacker. We are so thin there. Nobody ever got hurt. You know, we made it with three guys the whole season. Sure. And they all had about equal snaps. So, And that wasn't a position group that necessarily excelled, but they did improve. And, you know, you mix that in with maybe a Caleb Tanner, one more year in the strength and conditioning program. Right, right. Garrett Nelson, you know, that's this all-fire team. You can see the prototype is length, right? Length and athleticism. And, like, once we get Duvall and we get Ellis in there to try to kind of build these guys now, like I said, year three, who knows what that position group could do or, or look like going into next year. Well, one thing that next year also represents is the third year of the walk-on program. And when you're talking about all the depth you just mentioned cool. at inside linebacker, I mean, you also start to throw in a Joey Johnson who's going into year three. Yeah. Chris Cassidy. Cool. We already mentioned Reimer. The, these are all dudes that are just going to play that much more of a role in building depth there. Yeah. And I think that's the broken record from last year was depth bit us at some point, almost across the board at every position last year. And some of that was redshirting dudes. and, and Probably the most not- costly was kicker. Yes. <laughs> kicker, but yeah. – and- <laughs> And even that, I mean, we just got a Iowa Western kicker that's going to... Yeah, I bet that never happens to Scott Frost again. <laughs> but it, it is literally just about building depth, and, and the walk-on program is going to play a role in that, is that we're just going to have body after body keep developing these guys and see where they go. If we can land that Keaton Johnson kid out of Minnesota, that'd be really nice for our linebackers also. Yeah, I love the idea of getting that Big Ten area guy, especially you know a Minnesota kid off the season that they've mm-hmm. had. He would be ideal. He's a big, yeah. he's a big bodied kid, and kind that's of a just pass rusher type. Too. And it's just one of the things that Frost has done a very good job of in the last two years. We have gotten some Big Ten area kids in that front seven on defense and on the O line. We've got guys mm-hmm. that would have been playing at the Iowas and Wisconsin's and Michigans. They've been playing against us, and instead we're getting them. Well, as you do that year after year after year. That's what's going to eventually make us look like the Iowas and the Wisconsin's in the trenches. If you just think about three guys, so if you think about Caden Johnson, Blaze Gunnarsson, and that Nash Hutmacher, mm-hmm. the polar bear guy, yeah. yep. those are, like you said, the Big Ten area guys that yeah. traditionally we haven't been getting in the past. They love football. They can play in the snow. They mm-hmm. don't wear hoodies. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like getting those guys, it's just... Well, that's the thing, Chris. When people say that... I was listening to a Big Ten podcast that had said Nebraska hadn't laid any foundation over the last two years with Frost, and it drove me crazy. Look, you was can, it an Iowa podcast? No, it was a Michigan guy, actually. But look, I get <laughs> it. You can call us out for winning four and five games, but you can't tell me that there hasn't been a foundation laid. And to your point right there, Chris, about getting 
Big Ten area guys, especially in those trenches, right? Over the course of the, the last couple of years, to get a Ben Hart out of Minnesota, mm-hmm. to get Prochaska out of Nebraska, who's going to be the top in-state kid. We're not losing in-state I'm kids. We kept, you know, Hickman here instead of him going to an Iowa or somewhere else, yeah, you know, at tight end too. Ethan Piper didn't have a Nebraska offer until Frost got here. He had an Iowa offer. They had offered him already, you know, uh, but Riley wouldn't. And to keep those local kids here, where Nebraska is going to compete against the Big Ten in the trenches, you're going to get these area guys. And then what sets Nebraska apart from the Iowas and the Wisconsin's over time is going out and getting Savion Morrison's and getting big time Logan Smothers, you know, getting- Smothers. I mean, going national to get some big time skill position athletes. I love Riley and everything, but think about the Calabrasca movement and what came out of that and how crazy and how hyped everyone is for that. I was watching Oregon the other night, and their entire starting defense, I feel like, is 2016 and 2017 Nebraska misses. It's just insane. I cut Frost some slack sometimes thinking about what he inherited, and like you said, there's definitely foundation that he's laying and getting these in-state guys and then surrounding them with the playmakers and the talent. You mentioned the guys we were getting, and you mentioned Garrett Nelson. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like has been a theme is physicality on defense. Like, that has been something we've been recruiting. We haven't talked about the defensive backs, but look at the defensive back room. And that's definitely something they've recruited. But you talk about development. Look at Lamar Jackson the last few games. His physicality in these last, I'd say, five games is beyond what I thought he was capable of. He's come up and filled on run, and he is smacking people. To, to finally see a guy like that, one of our four stars, kind of one of our forgotten four stars, really. I know he's had a ton of play time, but Lamar's fell under criticism since the day he got here. But that's a guy who has raised the level of his play the last two years and bought in, and you can see some growth from it. I felt like when we played Iowa, I saw some hitting. We have a team full of tacklers, but not a lot of hitters. And like with these young guys, I feel like we've got some hitters in here, some guys who want to do some damage. Like, you want to run the ball? Cool. I'm going to smoke you when you get to me. And, like, that's fine with me. You know, like, that's what I want to see. I mean, like, gain four yards, but it's going to hurt. Like, we're not doing that. We're just shoestring tackling before. And, like, that's what we've seen all along. Like, bad angles and lunging for tackles and hoping for eight yards. Like, now, you know, if I if I see what Travis Fisher's doing, and the model seems to be 6'2", 215, you can be safety, you can be a corner, you can be a nickel, come play for Nebraska, and we'll let you rip. You know, like, I can't wait to see some of those guys get going. Well, that one play, I forget who it was. Man, there was a big lineman that came out on the screen, and he... Yep, Wisconsin. Yep, that was a great play. Yeah, yeah, through the lineman's legs and just upended that guy. And, yeah, that's a a testament to him and his coaches and and the mentality of those DBs. But I love our DBs, definitely. I I think something that'll be a strong suit for us in, in the coming years. You know, Frost had this this great recruiting class last year. We're twenty third in the nation, and you know we got all these we got all this talent. Well, maybe fifteen percent of that talent saw the field, and and that's okay because those four star defensive backs they're, they're not ready yet for the speed. If you're playing a lot of freshmen all the time, right. that's probably not a winning culture. If you unless and yeah, unless you're losing people to the draft. Yeah, you know, like playing freshman all the time is not a good indicator that, of success. And I think you bring up a good point there is that, oh, this, you have to get this guy. He's a, he's a can't miss day one starter. And it's like, whoa, he's a darn good player. But we turn these guys into like, they, they all should be day one players because they're, they're four wow. stars. And it's like, we got to slow that down. Yeah, you're obviously going to have those high four stars and those and those five star guys that are the freaks, obviously, and they're coming in and they're doing it right away. If you think about Micah Parsons at Penn State, sure. I mean, dude is an absolute freak. Yep. He, it doesn't matter. He's he's going to contribute right away. He's a freak. Wandale, he's just got it. He can contribute right away. 
but that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Noah Cole Gates or, you know, some of those guys and those DBs, and I mean, even some of our, our linemen aren't going to uh, develop to what their ranking deem them to be talent-wise. It's just they're not there right now. Think of Iowa for a second on the D-line. Epinesa didn't start, and he was a five-star guy. He didn't start until this year, his third season. Now, he played a lot the first two years, but the point is is that it took him three years to get a starting position at Iowa, and he'll probably go pro after this year. He and, literally uh, is the difference in that game. Did you look at his stat oh, line? It was, it was a, like it's Sue-esque. Amazing. But that's the point with these guys is that they can come in and be contributors and all that. I mean, I come off negative towards star rankings, and I'm probably too rough on them. By all means, I want four- and five-star kids. Don't get me wrong. But it's this concept that they'll just come in and start right away. I, you know, I said earlier, Ben Hart should have played more. I don't know that he should have. Maybe I'm wrong for even saying that. That's a lot to come in as a freshman, and you're already stronger than guys who have been in a weight program like this for a mm-hmm. year or two. I'm like, that is that should be as going forward rare talent. Wandell was here for the whole off season. And it wasn't like on day one he just stepped into being a star player. It was, what, game four when we were at Illinois where yeah. he kind of had his yeah. breakout. It took him multiple games. And that's Wandell, right? He was the elite of the elite. Right. If you come in and you work hard and you earn it, you're going to play. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they're going to go around and say, we need you. I guarantee you you're, you're going to start. I don't know if that's Coach Frost, if that's his, if necessarily his culture. I think more of his culture is work hard, earn it, and you're going to see the field. All right, well, this was a great discussion here. Yeah, and Thanks and, so much for coming on, man. And, Chris, this is the first yeah, yeah. of more discussions. So, I mean, this is not the end for the Go Big Redcast and Husker hype. But having said that, I mean, kind of what are your final parting shots on the season and on the off season moving forward, uh, you know, as we look ahead to 2020? Yeah, I mean, first off, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on and everything. I really appreciate what you guys do, and, and being able to listen to you guys is, is really nice. It's more than just uh, you guys sitting down and pushing play and record. I, I know that all the work that goes into it, so uh, hats off to you guys. I appreciate it. Um, as far as this season goes, I mean, you know, we as fans, it's just it's so tough because there's not much we can do besides support the team. I do think that it, it's important for us to not lose the fact that we are in Nebraska, we have high expectations, and we want to be in Indianapolis at the end of the year. That's got to be the expectations. We can go about that in a supportive way. But I mean, that's the expectations at the end. At the end of the day, I don't, I don't want to come off, you know, as as a couch coach, you know, and, and things like that. Sometimes it's it's easy to fall into that. I I completely believe in in Frost and his in his mission and behind him. And I think you got to give him his time. I mean, obviously we're frustrated at this point, not in a bowl and sitting and watching everyone else. It's you know you have you know those twelve Saturdays throughout the year that you just you live and die for, and it, we really got the air sucked out of us sometimes oh. these past these past two years. It's just I think a lot of fans this preseason are going to be more of the uh, the sit back and show me in, instead of the the buy into the hype. But uh, I I do think at the end of the day we're still on the up. We got a lot of work to do, but I mean, it, it's it's headed in the right direction, and I do uh, believe in what Frost is doing. That's the kind of message we need to pump out in the off season because hey, no one's buying the Kool Aid this year, right? I mean, we're all going to be grounded and everything like that. That does not mean that we cannot have a very good season. It's yeah, just it's right. just everybody's to the point like you know what? I'd rather not listen to you talk. Let's just see it on the field. I've got faith in you. We got the right guys. But again, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. It was awesome talking to you. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it, guys. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.